0: Hey guys, this is Rob and welcome to question number 50. Whatever happened to that Minneapolis homeless encampment? It's my conversation with Patina Park, Executive Director of the Minnesota Indian Women's Resource Center and Chair of the Metro Urban Indian Directors Board. Oh man, this one goes deep. Talk about a lot of stuff and I'm not sure it's very comfortable on my end.
1: (laughs) Well, at least you're honest. Where do you live? In the city. Do you have a house? Apartment. On a rent? Rent. What do you do for a living?
0: Lots
2: of things.
1: Where's your office? Don't have one. How come?
2: It's a long story. Do you have kids? No, I don't. How come? What's your record for consecutive questions asked? 38. <laughs> Why are you talking to me. <laughs>
3: me. Who are you? Hot quiz, hot shot. Make me to talk?
0: Before we even start, Hovey, we need a Guinness. Cheers, Hofi.
1: Cheers. Mm.
0: I'm so glad we don't have to deal with sponsors on this podcast, or else I would be inclined to tell you that Guinness is the... Give me an adjective.
1: Oh, I'm blanking.
0: I what would be me? inclined to tell you that Guinness is the most blanking beer on the face of <laughs> yeah. the beer. So blanking. <laughs> If this is your first time listening to the podcast, here's the deal. My name is Rob Morgan, and for the past decade, I've been traveling the world as an internationally touring bassist. I say internationally touring like that adds some like legitimacy to what I do. Oh, I don't. I don't just play gigs in the town I live in. I play in places <laughs> other people live in. That makes me. <laughs> <laughs> the legit <good>. bass player. <laughs> Anyways, for the past year and a half, I have been hosting this podcast. It's where I sit down. Listen, here's the deal. Music has opened up doors for conversation to meet fascinating people all over the world. And I realized what would happen if I sat down over drinks on location with the interesting people I meet to have conversations and see what happened. Find out what I can learn from them. Try to get past what it is they do. Try to find who they are and what I can learn from them. And this is that podcast where I sit down doing that. That said, 2019, I had this idea. What would happen if I sat down every day and I drank a pint of Guinness every day and I recorded a podcast episode every day? I'm 10 days in. No, wait. Holy crap. I'm... This is 14 days in to I want to dive into this, but first, before I do, the reason I'm, by the way, Sarah, I'm going to say this right now, I'm really pumped that you're here right now. This is really fun for me because I kind of miss this, sitting down doing intros with you Mm. for the daily episodes. Sometimes you're around when I'm doing the intros to the daily episodes, but... It's nice to just, you know, force you against your will to sit down and drink yeah, Guinness with me. So fun. Okay, but really why I'm glad you're here is because I want to I want you to help me paint a picture for anybody that does not live in the Twin Cities and doesn't know what I'm talking about when I mention the Minneapolis homeless encampment. Mm-hmm. So this summer, all of a sudden, seemingly out of nowhere, we have a major highway in Minneapolis that's runs like north and south. It's not too far from our home. And all of a sudden, in there, like off to the side, in this strip of grass, a couple tents started popping up. Mm-hmm. When did you fart first? Oh my gosh. <laughs> when did, you, did I say, when did you fart? Yeah. When did you fart noticing this? Oh, no, when God. did you first start noticing this? Why do I host a podcast? All I do is talk. Okay, when did you start... Fir- Holy crap. When Don't did, say first. When did
1: you start noticing when this? When did
0: you start noticing this?
1: It was definitely summer because I remember it being hot and thinking that would be awful. But then I also remember thinking, oh, this won't be sticking around winter. winter because that would be awful. I don't know if it was like July, but I drive yep. that way home every day. So like kind of every day I was sort of observing. And it's kind of tucked down below the highway, but you can still see kind of this stretch where it was just sort of growing
0: and i remember i actually remember i was out of town and you texted me an update on it because it what started as just a few tents on the side of the road became more and more to the point yeah you had texted me something like holy crap you should see just how many people are there right and and that
1: was before there was there wasn't any like news out about it i was trying to google and then it got big enough that
0: Like Star Tribune, the local newspaper, a bunch of different uh, news organizations started doing features on it.
1: Right. And then some nonprofits got involved and it's just, you grew into a, I don't know if it was like a couple hundred people by the end or. Yeah.
0: I was curious about it. I thought about going down Mm. there to, I was going to take a microphone and just walk around and ask people about the situation. But I felt weird about, I felt just distasteful about that. It didn't feel You would have had to do it
1: very carefully or else it's just sort of capitalizing on someone's pain
0: yes okay in this conversation with patina we she actually mentioned that and she calls it tokenism which i've heard that phrase before uh and this thought that i don't want to i never want to make someone feel like i'm using them for a story oh man you're your whatever we're, we're going to talk about, this is the hot topic right now. So I want right. to use you and come up with a really catchy, like title. use someone's
1: pain for your pleasure, more yes. or less.
0: So I really, that's actually exactly why I didn't go down there and talk with people. Uh, but they actually they actually grew so much, people started calling it Tent City. Mm-hmm. And it became this big deal as the year went on. It, was, it just kept growing and growing, and people started thinking, oh, man, winter is coming, uh, to uh, borrow reference Game, Game of Thrones reference. <laughs> reference. Winter's coming. What's going to happen with this? And different organizations stepped in. I am not 100% sure what happened. Why should, I should say I wasn't 100% sure what happened. And then all of a sudden, seemingly overnight, it was gone. All the tents were moved. Almost, yeah. And this was like, what, a month ago that that happened?
1: Yeah, I feel like it may have been December. It was definitely winter.
0: Yeah, definitely in wintertime. All of it was gone. So... I was really curious about what happened. I feel like there's I I made a joke in this conversation about how it's it, it's funny to think of like oh all of a sudden like a ton of people became homeless right. in Minneapolis and then they just all must have like decided not to be homeless anymore. Right. Uh, but really where did where did these people come from? Why did they come to this location mm-hmm. and why did they Why did they choose this location? Why did they stay there? What was needed? Where did they go? So I reached out to Patina Park, who graciously was willing to sit down and give me a ton of her time. This is a long episode. Now, here's the deal. I am not going to uh, cut this down at all. I know this is a long conversation, but I believe people listening uh, can handle it. And here's why I don't want to cut it down. Because this conversation actually made me feel, if I'm going to be honest, like an idiot Hmm. and very uncomfortable in my ignorance about things. We initially dive into, she is very influential in the the Native American community. community. I ask a ton of questions that make me, I feel make me sound really ignorant. But my favorite thing about this podcast is finding that it, it can be a place to... Ask questions and be 100% myself with people because it would be really easy for me to edit this down and make it sound like I've got it all together, like I'm really well-spoken and that, you know, Patina and I have some really great wisdom to say and I'm going to sit here and chat with her and we're going to teach anybody anything, but really... Yeah, I just want to learn. I have so much to learn. I have so much about my, as I called it in this episode, my white dude-ness mm-hmm. that I don't want to, I don't want to apologize for myself at all for who I am. I want to embrace who I am. But at the same time, I want to recognize the lens at which I view, the lens in which I view the world mm-hmm. and the things around me uh, and how that has been crafted by my upbringing and uh, my ethnicity, and everything that goes into making me meet. So, this conversation, Bettina and I sit down, we talk about the uh, local tribes, Native American tribes. First of all, we, t- we talk about later in the episode, I just ask her point blank, the Indians, that's a, they're using the word Indian in their Minnesota Indian Women's Resource Center and a bunch of their other organizations. Are, are we allowed to say Indian anymore? Right. Do we have Native American First Nationals. What's the preference? We talk about that. We talk about homelessness. Uh, we dive into a ton of social commentary about a lot of this stuff. We got together at Pow Wow Grounds Coffee in South Minneapolis, And that's connected to and affiliated with Native American Community Development Institute. So everybody there that uh, made this happen, that was super generous with your space and your time making this all go down today, just a massive thank you to all of you. And here's the deal. I'm going to throw this out there. Here's my hope for this. My hope is that by listening to this, other people will learn something as much as I did because I think this whole conversation about everything we talk about is fascinating. It's not the native American community's responsibility to educate everyone else about the history of the United States and first contact. Uh, It is on us. Do your education, do your homework like I'm going to have the conversations. And I hope that like me, this can be a first step to someone in the direction of realizing more about what's going on. Okay, first of all, let me say this. I am on the deep end of the ignorant pool when it comes to all of this. So I'm probably going to I'm just, I... And you're so your vibe right already is so open. Uh So I'm pumped that you're willing to hopefully let me ask you questions and just fill me in on this. I'm kind of an open book. When the you said Lakota tribe, is that? I'm just, mm. I'm not familiar with well, how connected tribes are. Is it just spatially in North Dakota, or no, is no. there a community here? No,
3: there's community here, and the community is spread out. Okay. One thing to keep in mind is about 65 to 70% of all Native people are yeah. in urban settings. They're not on the reservations. Really? Um, that's a result of a lot of history, right, yeah. of removals and termination and boarding schools yeah. and uh, relocation and... Everything up to, you know, like the 80s. I mean, it's a, a modern phenomena as well as an older one. And so, like, I'm Sam Lakota. I'm technically Minkaju Lakota, which is. Minkaju. Yeah, Minkaju. Um, uh, M-N-I-C-O-U-J-O-U.
0: Oh, Minkaju. G-
3: Minkaju. Yeah. Uh, Lakota, which um, is kind of my family group from Cheyenne River. Yeah. And it's Cheyenne River and Sioux tribe, federally recognized, but Sioux is not a word that was traditional with us, that was put on us. Mm-hmm. Um, the Dakota, though, are, are originally from here. So the Dakota and Lakota were all part of the... Okay. You know, ...the um, larger kind of community. It's kind of... I would look at it more like... Like the United States. Yeah. like the over thing, and then each of the individual states... Mm-hmm. Um, so we're very connected and we have shared family,
0: Yes, but we
3: are different entities. Yes. And so like you, oh, you yeah. the well, Yes, Sioux mm-hmm. um, are a different branch, right? Yeah. The um, Prairie Island is a different branch. I mean, so they're yeah. different branches
0: yeah.
3: of tribe, but Dakota were forced out of this area. It's technically still legal for Dakota people to live in Minnesota, but... Really? It, yes. Illegal? It's Illegal. By, yes. No way. Way. What? <laughs> yeah. And for, well, you know, Fort Snelling was a concentration camp. Oh, yeah. For the Dakota. Yeah. yeah. Uh, during that whole era, right, they were forced out to make room. How was that still a well, thing? Well, it's just because it's it, hard to change law once it's oh, passed. Oh, okay. And it's a federal thing.
0: And it's one of the... I would... Is it... Is it one of those? Well, I'm. I was almost making assumptions. I'm, I'm wondering if it's one of those things where it's not. Is it worth it? Is it worth the effort? Does the Dakota, Dakota tribes like want to well, reverse that in any way? I think way? It, I it would
3: know. be more instead of changing those laws. Cause, uh, is more to. Uh, I think what's vitally necessary is kind of a reconciliation okay. process, locally and nationally around. Mm-hmm. Like, like you said, you're painfully ignorant. Yes. Because, and that's not your fault, right? Yeah, I, I mean, do. the totally. fact that the indigenous history in this continent has been quite clear yes. and kind of um, whitewashed, as mm-hmm. like I say, uh, in history books is yeah. something we're constantly <sighs> struggling with to kind yes. of raise that up and, yeah, yeah. and let people know what the true history here is and to acknowledge it. Yeah. Because th- there's a lot of trauma, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, we t- you can talk about historic trauma and all that, but as a result you know, if, if you just do basic, like trauma-informed mm-hmm. work in the outside of our community, just yeah. in general, yeah. you know, if an individual experiences a trauma and no one acknowledges it, they're trapped in a, in a, in a whirlpool, they can't heal. They can't get past it. Um, so it shouldn't be surprising to people from that just very simple, well-accepted principle uh, that Native people are kind of trapped in this, you know, Poverty and the trauma yes. and all that, because there 's never been a acknowledgement of the history oh it 's just starting, you hear bubbles of it
0: yeah well, when you say the when you talk about trauma, it makes me think of uh, something I read recently, and I, it was a study, and i can 't remember i can 't remember where I read it, but they were talking about how trauma actually they were studying how it, it it imprints almost on your DNA yeah. and can be passed down genetically. Mm-hmm. And I it blew my mind that yeah. it's not just like this mental uh, or like cultural thing, but it actually goes into the genetics yes. it's of a trauma. Science. There's science. Yes.
3: It. Yeah, absolutely. And as a result, too, most Native people, um, our endocrine system is at a heightened level all the time. So my resting levels will be higher than someone who's had no trauma in the recent history of their life, right? Really? Oh yeah. So even if the you know, flight or fight, even, yeah. So so as a as a result, the the triggers, you know, mm. if you ha- if you haven't you know done healing work or um, done work around that, yeah, yeah that's like the, on a dime will go from pretty. Fine to you know exploding in, in mm-hmm. some kind, kind of emotion. There's a science behind that response as well. So yeah. that's why we talk about like trauma-informed care. It's not just about understanding that trauma has happened, but also understanding what the biological and the physiological and the psychological effects of that mm. trauma have to your body. Yeah. Not just you know, your emotional well being, but your physical well being too. I mean it shouldn't surprise people that cancer you know, diabetes, like all these kind of health effects that mm-hmm. are deeply in, <laughs> embedded within yeah. the endocrine system. Yes, um, we have higher levels of that in the community at large as well. And so, what can
0: be done on the, in the side of self and within, like the usness that you were talking about? What can be done within the community or is being done right now to help that?
3: Yeah, one is kind of. Doing everything we can to bring back cultural components. Because, yes, the trauma is in our DNA, but I like to point out that the resilience and the ways to heal are in our DNA, too, and have actually been there longer. So any of the programming that is Native-specific is going to have cultural elements around Mm. ceremony and and Mm. teachings, like we spoke earlier, like the values, like teaching what are those values that are Indigenous, what is our connection to land, Um, all of that stuff that kind of systems for a long time have tried to kind of essentially beat out of us is to put them back. And then those things are layered like Uh, Miwrc, we do mental health and chemical. Uh We do all these kind of mainstream approaches. However, like most of my therapists are native, and they they incorporate teachings into their like mainstream therapy. Yes. Or we have. It's like
0: it's it's like connecting the I don't want to say ancient, but the the tradition with modern technology, maybe even like yeah, and you need that kind
3: of modern because they're best practices. But if they don't combine it with the cultural. And the the stuff that we know to be true, it can't really sit in the system and have effect. It just kind of bounces Mm. off.
0: Interesting. Which
3: is why I think many of our community members don't do well in more mainstream service providers if they don't have that layer and that understanding, right? Because there's also um, kind of a difference in environment, right? I mean, it's, you know, I live in Wisconsin. Okay. And so I've been following that young woman who disappeared, you know, in October. Oh, yeah. Um, Who they found. A miracle. Yes. I I mean, absolutely miraculous. Well, I can't remember her name. Uh, Jamie. Yes. Jamie Cross, is it? Yes. Cross or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And
0: she was abducted. Yeah. Yeah. Her
3: parents murdered and she just disappeared. Um, But the attention around Jamie, at least in Wisconsin, here in Minnesota, never really went away. Like there was always a heightened sense of where is she, Mm -hmm. news reports, who's still looking. It was in October. So three months. Oh my gosh. That um, is crazy. But it really also kind of highlights yes. the issue around like murdered and missing indigenous women. There are indigenous women who go missing all the time nationwide, and, and there are no news reports. There is no like big nationwide response. Yeah. I mean, the family was on Good Morning America today, right? So there's also kind of an invisibility mm. in even the, kind of tr- the current modern trauma responses of this long history. You know, the erasure of Native people is still going on. Mm. And so, like, the raising issues of murdered missing Indigenous women, we're doing a march here on the 14th of February. We do it every year. Um, You know, wearing red. You might see um, individuals wearing red or red dresses hanging around. That's all to kind of raise the idea that there are missing Indigenous women, um, and we need to bring them home, and someone needs to pay attention to the fact that they're disappearing and no one is no one cares, right? I mean, that's kind of the painful. There's a, I mean, there're Facebook pages dedicated just to the issue and you'll yeah. see post after post of women the same age as Jamie disappearing but it never made the the media.
0: So wow, man, I have a million questions on that instantly. So my main uh but I guess my main question first that comes to my mind is why do you think that's not getting attention?
3: Well, I think it is the same as, well, it's, 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 it's carryover of kind of white supremacist um, values in the country. But people don't see mm. it that way, right? That when you see a young girl that looks like dominant culture and she goes missing, dominant culture responds mm. in a, like, oh my gosh, right? That kind of bubble of the world is a safe place for us gets disrupted, and people react to that and do everything they can to make it a safe place again. Um, even even when you hear the news stories right now about her, now is how, how happy she'd be home and how, how well she's doing despite. Um, you know they her are. Parents
0: aren't, Yeah. Yeah.
3: I mean, no one. You never hear the acknowledgement mm-hmm. of. Uh, you know she's yes. come back. That. Did she know? You know yeah. that the the trauma, traumatic experience oh, yeah, that young yeah, woman yeah. went through. Yes. Um, it's all about no. She's back home and happy again, right?
0: Yes. It's an easy. It's like this. Uh,
3: man, the world is okay. I and just safe think of again. like a bi-
0: I'm just thinking it's like so many people think of binary things Absolutely. Of like well, you're missing or you're home, and now you're home. Okay. Next problem. Next yeah. news story. Whatever it is. Right. Uh, but yeah. there isn't. Like what you're saying is like there's this 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 whole trajectory of. Yeah, you're home, but then the healing process, yeah. it sounds like what you're saying.
3: Yeah, and, and to acknowledge the trauma first, yes. which has happened for her and will yeah. continue... Um To, to, yeah, to reinforce that the world is safe for us. This was, even they even have already been acknowledging and pointing out, like, what's wrong with this guy? Like, what's up with him? You know, he Mm -hmm. was really quiet. Yeah. You know, to again make it clear that this was different. This was abnormal. Oh. But on the flip side, uh, when a Native woman goes missing, it's frequently asked, well, you know, was she drinking? Where was she? What was she doing? Like, the kind of victim-blaming um, happens at a more yeah. intense level. Oh. Uh, was she? You know, who did she go out with? Or you know, it's kind of interesting um, how society responds to that, or doesn't respond at all. Like mm-hmm. that, they don't care. Yes, it's like just another one. Oh, oh man,
0: I'm still on the. I'm still trying to. I'm. I'm learning how to how to look at the world and look at those situations mm-hmm. as a white dude, uh, and not. I don't know, and still embrace who I am, yeah. but I also acknowledge my own lens that I naturally Absolutely. look through the world and hopefully rewire that in a certain way. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you're just saying, you were saying with that, is there a way, like how do we change that? How do we as like a, an, in, the, in the big usness, change the way we look at those situa- situations, like the women?
3: Well, I think you have to face it, number one. Okay. I think a lot of people don't even... Know the numbers mm-hmm. or are where. Um, even at a national level, you know the, like the FBI never tracked the race of victims. Um, so it's all been incidental information about the fact that all these Native women have gone missing or have been murdered. Uh, but when you're in community, you know, because I, I, if I'm at a community meeting or a community event or at a, you know, like last year at this time, the gallery did a Murder to Missing Indigenous Women art show in combination with the March okay. and it was, yes. and the Super Bowl, right? Okay, yeah. And so that, to, that art show is now traveling, I think it's in Duluth now, or I mean, it's going okay. through the states, yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Um, now I lost my train of thought, right?
0: with the you're talking about um, they didn't they didn't uh, even record their yeah
3: yeah races so for them. but when i'm you know at the opening and looking around right yeah the people who were there many of them were family in support of the art and all of the art had a personal connection mm-hmm. so that was the goal we talked about in the early planning is yes cardboard cutouts and dresses hanging you know red dresses and you know, this kind of raising awareness through an item can raise awareness, but it loses the humanity of the individual that was lost or who's Mm. missing. And so the art show was very deliberate in finding art that had a personal connection. And not just a personal connection around the trauma, but a personal connection of who she was um, as a person, you know. Um, That she was a mother, a daughter, a grandmother, you know. That she laughed, she cried, you know, that she had feelings besides just the event that occurred to her yeah. and so in this space right as you look around the room and it's packed yeah everyone there has a personal connection to someone who's either murdered missing or has experienced violence mm. right everyone in the space so you know so powerful yeah oh. i Ugh. and and i'll frequently you know people will say well you know we only support survivor-led agencies, you know, and I'll push back and say, well, you know, as a native agency, given the statistics that we already know, it is victim or survivor-led. I mean, all of them are because oh. all, I don't know anyone who hasn't experienced some level of violence mm-hmm. and multiple levels of violence yeah. throughout their life. So, but that's not the sole identity of who we are in fact mm. it's not who we are as yeah. people and to then shift it around and say well if you're not survivor led then you're not legit
0: means yeah. you don't
3: you only know a very superficial level of understanding about the issue at large yeah. and I would say that is true of like just native issues Yeah, across the board whatever yeah. issue it is Yeah, is a lot of people have a very superficial understanding and they've never yeah. dug any deeper because then it yeah. requires dominant society to look at themselves in a not yeah. Pleasant way. Okay. <laughs> yeah. A very. Uh, yeah. I, man,
0: you know, Tina, if I may be honest with you, as I've had conversations in the, over the past few years of just it, like you're talking about in a non-pleasant way, it really as a white dude that is wanting to dig a little bit deeper than the superficial yeah. stuff it is uncomfortable. Oh yeah. And it's this. I'm I'm trying to find the balance between uh, how do we create space for people to to uh, to do ask those harder questions about themselves, look internally, mm-hmm. learn, have conversations where they feel safe, yeah, uh, safe to be vulnerable and not put the guard up, so there can be actual change in people. But at the same time. It's not your responsibility to make people feel safe. My wife and I were always talking about that, of like, man, where does that safeness... I don't know where this tangent's coming from, but I'm, I'm just curious about where the safeness, where that space comes from. Because uh, it it's not on you or the community of Indigenous people to make everybody else feel safe and comfortable <laughs> so you can uh, approach your whiteness. But at the same time... I'm just thinking about myself now selfishly. And I'm. you have a very much like us-ness about you. Mm-hmm. Like an uh, us-ness um, approach to everything. It sounds like everything you're passionate about. And so I'm just thinking of myself like how can I create like an us-ness myself to bring other people that are like me in and point it in yeah. the direction of diving deeper.
3: Yeah. Well, I think one thing to like, note for myself is I'm almost 50, right? I'll be 49 really? next year. Yeah. Yes. Cool. And so I've been around for a while, <laughs> you know? Um, yes. And because of my experience and um, the fact that I've kind of been training nationally yes. on, on topics, I have probably spent more time, like, thinking deeply about this and a lot mm-hmm. of people, including in my own community. Like yeah. to make connections between things. Yes. Um, so that's a, a privilege that I have of, of, of having, having that ability, right? Mm-hmm. To be in a two-income home and have grown up in a family, right, you know, Yeah. Um, where my basic needs were always met. So yeah. I didn't have to, you know, live in a tent next to a highway at any point in my life. Yes. Um, I've also had the fortunate um, opportunity to be in national convenings of kind of, A diverse group of people who look at violence and things from all different levels of their own experience, whether it be, you know, labor movement and workers or the African American movement and Me Too, or I mean, a lot of different areas to to kind of be even critical amongst ourselves and challenging and, and to be given even the vocabulary to understand things that are happening, right? Like lateral oppression or internalized oppression, you know, like my, early on need to make you feel better so that you will listen to me is an internalized oppressive behavior, right? Yes. That caregiving, right? Um, And so at least now I'm aware of it Mm -hmm. and I may not be as nurturing or like apologetic for Mm -hmm. the history as I am, uh, would have been in the past, but that also doesn't mean like I like, Like some people are very confrontational and aggressive Mm -hmm. because they are also moving from an internalized, oppressive kind of defensive stance that doesn't build community. And I I suppose, yeah, like you said, I do view the collective as us. Like I, um, whether it be spiritual or professional, I I don't see it as different kind of pods of people. We really are one people. Yes. Um, And whether you're Christian or Buddhist or Muslim or, you know, just spiritual in general, Mm -hmm. there are certain values and concepts that share across the board and that and treat others as you would treat yourself and the Christian. It's also in Muslim. I mean, those are fundamental principles of humanity.
0: Yeah. And this sound that goes back to what you're saying earlier about the, the, the Lakota tribe, uh, the, the values you were talking yeah. about earlier. It and there's another
3: like Matakwasan you might have heard. Um, it uh, translates to like "All my relations are all things related." Mm. And it's uh, also a, a prayer within Lakota beliefs. So it acknowledges the fact that all humanity is connected, but it also recognizes like the connection to the animal world mm. and the mineral world and, you know, the trees and like rocks, everything yes, all the way up into the cosmos, that there is a singular connectedness yes. amongst all things. Oh, and it's that. through that, that we would receive or, or, the world would find peace, right? Because it's through othering. I would say othering, which is grounded in greed and and like this individual and take, take, take mm-hmm. um, creates the environment where racism and hate crime, like all of that comes from. Yes. Right. Oh, um, that's so good. Hey.
0: That's so awesome.
3: Well, yeah. The othering, I mean, the othering, totally, totally 100%. Othering. Otherwise, how else can you explain that we have Jails of children, and, and most of the United States doesn't care other yeah. than to post passionate statements on Facebook um, uh, to do a kind of superficial level of engagement, and then they've done their thing and they go on about their life. Yes. Not even thinking yes. about the fact that there are children who are taken from their parents and are uh, in jails, yeah. and dying. Right? I mean, uh, it, it should be mortifying to humanity at large the fact that it's not really speaks to how how disconnected people have become Mm. um, across the globe, even. Yes.
0: And it is, I've thought about that. And I wonder, I've thought about media, and whether it's social media or movies in general, in the sense that we live in a world where it's very easy. The algorithms that we live in, mm-hmm. whether it's online or that we're taking in, are made to allow ourselves to build a bubble around us, okay. almost so you can feel you can feel safe as you want. If you're talking about social media, yep. you can feel safe as you want on Facebook, yep. and you can just open the door just enough to go have like a comment <laughs> section argument with someone, and then come back in your oh, bubble, yeah. and mm-hmm. you because you've unfollowed everybody that doesn't agree yeah. with you. Yep. And so it is this that otherness is fascinating to me. Of like we can, now we can live uh, disconnected more mm-hmm. than other people, and that's not our problem. The stuff you're doing over there, I'm fine. I'm safe. Yeah. And you were saying what you were saying earlier made me think of another interview I I read. I was actually watching this last week, and it was talking about how uh, they were talking about drugs, mm-hmm. and he was saying how you know this opioid epidemic. In certain areas, in there's air pockets of America that just don't even give a crap about it because it's not it's not affecting you. But he was saying it is, and when it yeah. affects you, then you will become a person. When it affects your family, it'll no longer be uh, an us and them. Exactly, it'll be an us when it affects you. And so that just makes well, me think what yeah, you think. Yeah, there's saying.
3: also an element, especially with the opioids, um, is whether you're deserving of receiving help or not. Too is is kind of. Overall, like, um, you may not be aware of this, but this specific area of Minneapolis and Hennepin County has had the highest overdose rate for Native people for years, nationwide.
0: Nationwide, this county?
3: Yes, and not just this county, but right here.
0: This specific neighborhood? This
3: specific, the third precinct area has had the highest overdose rate in the nation for Native people per capita, right? Um, but no one has really cared, right? We've been, the state has known about it through data. I mean, the data is actually like, hurts your stomach to see how opioids, um, have taken over, right? Mm -hmm. The, the lines are not this, it's whoop, right? Yes. Um, but it wasn't until people started paying attention to white people in the suburbs mm. starting to overdose that suddenly funding and resources and we need to do something about this started to kick in. So funding is only now starting to become yeah. available, but it's still pretty superficial in its response. It's very kind of Eurocentric or American and you have a problem, take a pill. You know, so this yeah. kind of medicated assisted treatment um, Suboxone, methadone, you know, are, are becoming the thing that mm-hmm. people need to do. Like, it's a heart disease, you take your heart pill forever. Yes. You have a, you know, opioid addiction, you take your pill just forever. just e-
0: easy pill fix, yeah. But
3: the problem is most, I would say the vast majority of people who get addicted to those opioids there's something more than just the physiological addiction to the actual chemical, right? There's some trauma, there's something Mm. in there they're they're trying to fill. And so you have to have that element of kind of treatment and addressing that in addition to the assisted treatment medication so you can get off it.
0: Yeah. Not to say that the experience is a disease, but like treat the symptom. Yes. But then also go deeper into the cause. The cause Look for of the cause.
3: Maybe it is just you took pills um, because you had surgery and you got physically connected to them. Yeah. But it you know, there are many, many people who took the same drugs for the same surgery and did not get addicted like they didn't mm. keep. Searching for it. So what was different in the individuals who sought? Yeah. For our community, I still feel that it's more heroin than it is the pills, right? I think um, heroin became too easy to get. It was cheaper. It was purer. um, And once you're hooked, man, it's really hard to get unhooked. I mean, you can't just stop cold turkey. It's painful to quit taking it. You get physically ill. um, You can have seizures. You know, so... It's even harder to quit once you're stuck. Oh, crazy! That's crazy. It's crazy to me because how like I I've
0: I've heard stories about it, but it is just I am ignorant to that, especially about how hard it's not just a quick fix. The fact that like I can't oh, yeah. even imagine the like how difficult it would be to pull yourself off that.
3: Well, and I and then stay I off of it. equated it to um in a poem, and also, you know, kind of publicly to, to for me, heroin is like this generation's smallpox blanket because you know, smallpox blankets were given, you know, back by the soldiers to the trot right, to kill them off, right? And so we're doing it to ourselves. so it should it should feel like a blanket, like protecting you heat, but instead we're killing ourselves oh. uh, with this drug. And unfortunately, you know, my my friend Dr. Hobart over at OIC, we were talking together and he really like summed it up for me in a way. I'm like, you're right. Like, I did not want to face it the way he said it, but he's absolutely right. Because we talk so much about the war on drugs, Mm -hmm. the war on poverty, we're going to eradicate whatever thing. Um, He's come to realize, and I've come to accept he's accurate, that it's not talking about the issue. It's actually talking about the people, that the systems are really devised to eradicate people and to eradicate people on drugs. Because um, I have no doubt with the encampment The systems
0: that we have right now mm-hmm. you, that are in place
3: The okay. systems are set up just to kill off the people that have those problems Okay, yeah, sorry to interrupt, I just wanted to Right, because I even, yeah. you know, I, I, I kind of joked about it tongue in cheek, but I was also dead serious when we had the encampment here You know, it was an eyesore for many. It was a political nightmare for the systems involved, right? Mm -hmm. Um, People want to know what happened, like the single thing happened, right? They didn't understand. Yes. um, You know, when it got colder and the people were using fires to stay warm, you know, I I mean, the honest truth is if a fire had swept through that camp, people, the whole collective community would have like been devastated. Like the city, the I mean, the state of Minnesota would have mourned, Mm -hmm. but there would have been many... Who wouldn't have admitted the relief they felt that the problem was gone yes um because it was an it oh, an issue so not individual people living in tents next to a freeway right
0: mm-hmm.
3: um and that's the you know it's I tent
0: guess. city we even had a phrase for oh, it yeah, that was ten, the, it was the, the or, thing yeah. yep yeah,
3: um, And not and just one of many in the city, right? I mean, yeah. the, it was a fraction of the overall problem yeah. of people riding the train all night or the encampments that are all over the city that people just can't see because they're hidden.
0: Yes. But now you have a spot that's where everybody can see it yeah. and then becomes a problem yeah. for the general public. To see it. Because, because housing is because not a problem, see-
3: right? Homelessness is clearly not a problem to the general public because... Every year they do a count, right? I mean, mm. um, Wilder, along with the uh, Minnesota Coalition of Homeless, you know, I mean, the issue has been out there for a long time. We know every night thousands of people are homeless in the state, and we've known that for a long time.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Yet we could come up with one point, what is it, two billion for a stadium, right? You know, I mean, yeah. so it's not an issue around resources at all. Yeah, It's around priority. And that's where we kind of circle back to where I said earlier about the deserving victim or the person who's deserving of help. Yeah, Many people don't think heroin addicts are deserving of help or people who are felons or, you know, all these um, things that people have kind of happened to them Mm -hmm. many times makes them later on not valued at all.
0: Oh man. And because you don't it, I'm just thinking still of like your us and the, the us usness and the themness of that wanted to disconnect makes me think that you of, of course you're not going to see you you're not going to concern yourself with their story of like how do they like ask how do they get to this point mm-hmm. it's just they're at this point they're doing drugs yeah. they're in fel- they're they fel- chose. yeah they chose they this. they
3: chose to be there.
0: Oh, man. Yeah, I do hear that. Even, even like, homelessness. Oh, yeah. Oh,
3: yeah. You know, most
0: people are choosing to be homeless. Yeah. it's yeah. so I hear that, I hear that <laughs> way too much. I mean, yeah. from my most own sanity, people, it's
3: crazy. Yeah, and I learned more about homelessness in the last five months than I had known before yeah. either. I mean, I knew it as an issue, and we have housing. Yeah. We have programs at the yeah. agency, but there are entities that that's what they focus on right Mm -hmm. and so i just trusted them to focus on it
0: yeah we have people to take care of this well
3: or yeah like saint Stephen's, right yeah yeah um simpson housing like there are organizations that do nothing but yeah try to address homelessness and meet the needs we do outreach right i mean um but it was a small element of the whole collective Mm, yeah it wasn't until i started engaging in a lot of this work that i was like wait a minute You mean there are nonprofit housing developers who, if you have a single prostitution conviction, you're banned for life? Well, that gentrifies their low-income housing, right? Because African-American and Native American women are more likely to have charges of prostitution and convictions than any other race, especially in Minnesota. So... That means they and their children and family can never live in the housing that's developed for low income families. Oh, man. Because they're not deserving. They chose. Yeah. To so you engage. chose to do
0: this. This is your fault. You made yeah. the decision. Now you have to deal with the Even consequence. Though, yeah.
3: The person who bought them yeah. gets a misdemeanor and can live there. No. Yes. Oh. Right? Oh, man. So, that right there, crazy. there is a, a, a policy. And it's a policy, right? Yeah. It's not a law. There's no requirement for that. But it is so embedded in even the early concepts of Native women and African American, you know, as being loose and easy and, um, yeah, I mean, yeah. not valued and oh, other.
0: Yeah. yeah. The other, otherness of it. The otherness, yes. Otherness,
3: again, right? It's a big scarlet letter A.
0: Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. I, w- I want to hear your thoughts on the, the encampment because I've been dying to ask someone about the situation because the situation being for people that haven't l- lived in Minnesota and seen this is all of a sudden it seemingly out of nowhere. Popped up popped up yeah so for some reason somehow a ton of people became homeless overnight and all decided <laughs> to meet up <laughs> <out. laughs> they all decided to meet next to the freeway yeah. they got on facebook and they're up. hey yeah. we're gonna be homeless and we're gonna be over here at the yeah freeway. let's live over here <laughs> yeah so but all of a sudden it just keeps building <laughs> this happens but then it's dis- it's completely disappeared again overnight yeah. all of a sudden it's gone the problem solved. gone uh, where'd they go yeah where'd they go uh facebook facebook's <laughs> groups closed
3: oh yeah we're, we're gonna be
0: homeless <laughs> from this date to this date
3: and yeah and then we're out yep We went home. How did that
0: happen? How did that location happen? Do you You know, know, do you know how, like why that location?
3: Well, there's, there's a number of things, right. That went on. Um, One that's always been a location. Okay. Uh, People would always pop up tents there. It's Minnesota department of transportation Mm -hmm. land and MnDOT would show up, ask them to leave. Yeah. um, Give them notice. They would pack up their stuff, move somewhere else. And then when MnDOT was gone, come back. Really? Right? So there was always, you know, half a dozen to a dozen people yeah. kind of living on either side of Hiawatha.
0: Chase them off the land.
3: Yep, chase them off, right? Um, for some reason, I don't know why, Mendot stopped sweeping. Mm. June, July. Um, and word spread, right? Social media, right? Yeah. And so I was, I first heard of it, Growing to the level it had in uh, um, early August because I was on vacation with my family. Yeah, and I got a call from a Star Trib reporter, mm-hmm. and he wanted to know how. To, what did I think of this tent city that was popping up? I'm like, well, what do you mean? Like, <laughs> he's like, well, there's you know a few dozen at this point. I'm like, wow, um, wow. I don't know what I can say about that, but yeah. I just kind of told them an overview of kind of historical. Persp- history.: yeah. yeah. Um, Stuff I do all the time. Um, none, of, none of my stuff made the story. <laughs>
0: yeah. um, oh, really? No, no,
3: nope, nope, None of that got <laughs> in there. Uh, probably because I wouldn't get forced into, like, yeah, what was the thing? Or, like, uh, kind of the more sensational yes. um,
0: idea around fit, it. Fit your ideas in a nice, neat yeah. b- little box. And, that, and, um. and his,
3: in his defense, that reporter ended up spending, num- like, days and hmm. days at the camp and really okay. got to know people. Yeah. And the shift in his stories were clear. Mm. Um, it became, yeah, more focused on the individual. That's kind cool to see. That's, yeah. That is... Yeah. Chris did a really good job of kind of learn, like being open and learning. Yeah. Um, and being receptive to, I think some people reached out to him from the community and criticized that first piece as being a little exploitive and mm. not understanding. Yeah. And he listened, yeah. you know, and didn't get defensive and, you know, yeah. F you, I'm not yeah. going to do it. And no, he actually, okay, let me find out. Um, well, <laughs> so when I got back, I, I went Mm. and was blown away. I mean, by that time, Natives Against Heroin and the Kateri Church, you know, had at least um, got, I think, a, a shower, like one of those tent, like <laughs> camping oh, showers yeah, yeah, yeah. set yeah. up, yep. um, and had, I think Kateri is the one who produced, you know, brought in a biffy. Oh, right, really? there's no toilets, yeah. you no, know, a single one. Yeah. Um, we knew a large majority of the people there were using,
2: mm-hmm.
3: um, and so kind of the public health Elements were concerning right away. Yeah. And so, um, Dr. Stately, who's the CEO of Native American Community Clinic, he actually requested a meeting with the mayor and then invited us along with. And at the po- time, I was chair of the Metropolitan Urban Indian Directors. And yeah. that MUD is unique because it's an almost 40 year organization of all the leadership of Native nonprofits as well as the tribal
0: yeah. um,
3: urban offices and, and embassies. And it's recognized by the city formally. So we have an MOU with the city.
0: Really? Okay, yeah.
3: And it's the only in the nation where yeah. a city has recognized, and for so long, Yeah. right? It was a movement out of AIM. Okay. Um, to kind of create this voice with the mm-hmm. urban population and the city government, because the tribal reservations, the governments, have a, a conduit with the state, but don't always engage with the urban, at least historically. So um, we had the meeting with the mayor. That's where the September 30th date came up, not as a deadline to yeah. move the camp, but instead a deadline to come up with solutions. Yes. Um, that was not messaged completely. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there was some criticism for the mayor about that. Um, and then we had a plan around the immediate needs of the camp, the intermediate for the winter, and then long term. What are we going to do for, like, housing in general?
0: Yeah, because you have – I mean, even goes back to the treat the symptoms – then treat the, the cause of it of yep. like, okay, sanitation, bathrooms, mm-hmm. uh, w- things to deal with. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming the, the, the drug probably situation that would be there, like getting even, maybe even clean needles. Oh, I would absolutely. Assume, getting yep. in there. Uh, and then, then like then deeper and deeper once people are settled, safe, healthy, yeah then like, let's find a permanent situation. Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah. Okay. Um, and so, <laughs> you know, it was, it was, Crazy, right? I mean, yeah. the issues around that meetings and planning and, engulfed my life and many others in the community for solid four months. Um, you know, working 65, 70 hours a week Man. every day, you know, texting at all times, you know, texting yeah. with the mayor at odd times yes. the day, with the, you know, sit, um, chief inspector from the third precinct. I mm-hmm. mean, just craziness. Yeah. Um, but it really came down to the mud We came together and we sent literally a demand, I would say it was probably to the city, saying, listen, Mayor, um, we need two things. One, we want um, safe injection sites. Mm
0: -hmm. We need to
3: do harm reduction at a whole nother level to really meet the health needs. Yes. And two, we asked for a parking lot. Because we proposed early on that we could move the camp and winterize it as we move it. Just like we did at Standing Rock, like they're at line three. Like, it's doable. Um, And I had friends and connections ready to mobilize nationally to kind of sweep in and yeah. help us do this, um, but we needed a spate, a spot. Mm-hmm. The spot we asked for not good. Okay. For numerous reasons. Yeah. They offered another spot, also not good.
0: Yeah.
3: Um, for numerous reasons, and then Red Lake stepped in with their property that they were gonna they're gonna build. Housing on apartments. Really? They're going to break ground in June. Oh, sweet. Yeah. So And it's on the other side of the freeway, right? I mean, literally. Um, So it made sense. Unfortunately, the land would not be ready, we knew, until mid-December. Yeah. So the efforts around the camp then intensified in meeting the immediate needs of the camp. So, you know, they brought in more biffies. Yeah. You know, AICDC, Mike Gosey brought in the tent across the street that had showers yeah. and kind of connection to resources, yeah. right? Um, and that was all around the immediate needs. We, our agency, um, as chair of MUD, I stepped in and we, I hired people. I, mm-hmm. um, We tried to organize donations as best as possible, trying to avoid a standing rock. Um, we failed <laughs> in that. Um, what would be, a, what, and when you say trying to avoid a standing because rack. Uh, if if for those of us who were there, yeah, people very well-meaning people heard about it and just sent stuff.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Well, I can tell you, as someone who's now lived through this locally, there is a huge capacity, yeah. that is necessary in order to manage. Those kind of donations, right? Because they just What do you come do when the stuff you. gets there? I've never, yes. never thought about that. yet. someone yeah. needs to sort it. Someone yes. needs to screen out the stuff that's not yeah. usable. Um, someone needs to, you know, then distribute the stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's all these levels, um, and I really was trying desperately at that time to stop these big piles yes. growing there. Because
0: um, if you've ever been to like a like a thrift store donation, even if you've seen the thrift store donation uh, box, you yeah. know like some of this stuff. The majority is getting thrown away because okay. who
3: in October people donate flip flops, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, insane, right? Yeah. It's just like stuff. what are you thinking right now? Yeah, uh, but we were, you know, from August from the very beginning, very clear in in our uh, messaging to the state, county, everyone, as well as in messaging overall that that location hmm. was dangerous. It's always been dangerous um, because that swoop of land is the first snow removal site once Hiawatha crosses over all the freeways from downtown. So if if you look at the wall, um, you can't get to it now because they fenced it off, but you can see the marks way up where the snow ends up at the end of the winter if it's a snowy winter. And in that snow are rocks, mufflers, oh, chemicals, yes. you know, all sorts yes. of...
0: everything falling off a vehicle. Dangerous. Right off. Yep.
3: And so that's where they would plow the snow, into that wall. Really? So
0: so it's like when snow's coming, this instantly becomes and, and madness. The, and the wind. Like yeah.
3: we're having a ridiculously mild winter, which, yay. Yeah. Um, but it was not that long ago that at this point we were closing school because it was too yes. cold to stand outside yes. for more than a minute. Yes, right. Um, there's no blockage from the wind. Oh, yeah. North wind yeah. from most of the location there, it's right? It's sweeping
0: right down that.
3: And it's on an incline. Yeah. So there's no way to build... Well, there would be, but you'd have to build permanent or semi-permanent leveling structures to put any kind of uh, warming tent or, or things that a uh, oh, wood-burning yes. stove. You can't. You can't put a yes. wood-burning stove like this, right? Um, so to get them moved off the site mm-hmm. has always been mud's like goal. But right, even within their own community, and I'm, I'm sure it's individuals who you weren't as informed about all of the issues about staying there, it did also become like a place to make a stand, right? Over the bigger picture issues of, you're gonna evict us from our own land, right? I mean, this is land we're connected to. Yes, you and I Um, were talking
0: about, uh, before this, like the irony of that.
3: Yes, it is is very ironic. Yeah. But it's dangerous land, right? No. Right? Um, And there was also a level of. It's like land you
0: don't, like you don't, it's not, we don't, don't, the misconception is that we want this land right here. This, this thing. No, 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 we won't, we just need a safe place. This happens to be where we're at right now. At least, I mean, I'm just like processing this, yeah. But no one would
3: pick that as a safe spot. Yes. The other problem too is people came in with their summer tents, Mm. people donated summer tents, things like that. Um, and then again, maybe got, some flip-flops, yeah, a couple yeah. swim trunks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. ridiculous. I think the funniest thing I saw when I was there is when uh, somebody donated and just dumped it off. Like we couldn't even tell them to stop. It just <laughs> yeah. um, cases of half and half creamer. Uh, Cause I know no, there were no, no. people were like getting co- There was coffee there all the time. Well, they need cream. Oh. But the, the irony is it was going to expire soon. Oh, so you man. know, they, they yeah. were just dumping off, but oh. most native people are lactose intolerant right? Because dairy is not something that we mm. ever ate historically, right? There weren't mm. cows here. Um, and so mm. most most native people have problem digesting milk fats and proteins. Oh my gosh. So yeah, and then it would break and be all over the town. You know, yes. um, and, and people continued to bring donations. Yeah. Like I finally just gave up to the site, right? We couldn't control all the social media, all the Facebook pages, yes. all the shares, all the bring stuff here, um, the kind of internal conflicts among community members and others who thought, no, you know, you're just yes. trying to control everything, just to control it. It's like, well, no. Mm. If the stuff is donated there, it's raining, it's muddy, it's wet, right? I, literally thousands of pounds of cloth and donations were thrown away every day. Oh my gosh, yes.
2: Thousands,
3: well-meaning, meaning absolutely. And from, yeah, all well-meaning. Yeah. Right? Um, so... The other thing we kind of developed here was this idea of, well, what, what's going to be popped up okay. at Red Lake. Once the tribe stepped in, it, it became discussions between them and the city. And so mud stayed out. Yeah. And instead we focused our attention on the encampment itself, knowing we'd have to stay there longer, right? Yeah. So, in fact, a, a friend, you know, Tara, my friend, who's up at line three during hunting season, right? There's no yeah. line work during hunting because we'd hate for a pipeline person to accidentally get shot, right? So um, that means the people protesting also have a break. So her and some of her friends came down, and not only did they like, cook venison stew and all this, but mm. they popped up two army tents that we got um, and did put wood-burning stoves in them. And not only in them, mm. but they cemented them in on level. So they yes. could be stolen and they would be safe. Yes. Um, so we called it a warming station for the city. <laughs> but it really, one, they became, yeah. one was elders moved yeah. into the one and then somebody else moved into the other. So yeah, it yeah. became homes. Yeah. Um, but we had a, you know, like a 25 by 30 foot um, army tent, winter tent that we could have also popped up, but we couldn't get kind of coordination with those on the site who are kind of doing the grassroots work. Yes. And the community at large, right? That's the other big difference between this camp and, like, Standing Rock. Yes. Standing Rock, people came there for the issue of around water. Mm -hmm. Either they were environmental justice people or native, I mean, whatever. But I don't want to say functional people, but people with less struggles around chemical mental health issues were there. And so the infrastructure kind of Mm -hmm. popped up around people doing what their strengths were. Yes, in this instance, a large percentage of the people there were struggling with chemical and mental health issues, and so they weren't really at that level of being able it's to not everybody helping. build the infrastructure. Yeah. Right? Yes. Um, and then, you know, sadly, you know, if you do a lot of outreach and you do the work, you also understand that when you work with community who's really struggling, um, our own in fact, that there's a, we call it, we call it the bullshit factor. Yeah. Um, and you have to be good at this, yeah. right? You have to be experienced. And, and for me, it's having people who have lived experiences,
0: yeah.
3: um, to kind of push people who, who might have kind of settled into a heightened level of dysfunction mm-hmm. to say, no, we're going to go and we're going to go here and get you an ID and we're going to go and you like to yes. push them out of their, which comfort zone, which is yes. an unhealthy comfort zone. Yeah. Um, So, for instance, right? I love that. Yes. Well-meaning to have everyone bring meals. That was beautiful. Sharing food is important. Yes. However, there are free meals provided in several places within walking distance of the tent Mm. um, that they won't go to anymore, right? Um, And so it's kind of the difference between empowering people. And if people choose to live, there are some who choose to live on the street. They choose to live that way. they are very few, mind you. But for them, right, to create an environment where they never have to leave their tent yeah. isn't empowering them at all to survive. <laughs> it's enabling them in a dangerous way. Yes. Oh, man. And I so, say yes like I know anything well,
0: about that, but I totally can
3: picture it. Like, yes, you're,
0: you're just... it's What's the difference between empowering and enabling? It's a
3: very fine line. And you have to know the bullshit factor in order to do it, right? And so... You know, a lot of the grassroots, the volunteers, that, yeah. a lot of the community who stepped forward yeah. and really strove to help and, and, and work, like, to mm-hmm. help our relatives. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But helping them to live where they never have to leave their tent. Yes. Um, and to make, to even create an expectation that this level of care will continue. Yes. Um, is not empowering. That's, that's dangerous because it's not continuing. Right. Yeah. When it gets super cold and blizzardy, I'm guessing most of the people who were there saying, you know, we're going to make a stand or we're here to help and yes, um, are going home. Like yeah. I went home at night. Right? Yeah, to- um, yeah. and I And, you know, towards the end there, I got a little like testy about it and frustrated. And I would say to people who'd ask, listen, you know, if people really want to make a stand there, there's nothing stopping them from buying their own winter tent mm. and setting up. And making a stand. But to use the individuals who were there to make their stand Mm. is exploitive. It's tokenism. And it's not okay. It's destructive. Yes. Um, But that made me a bad guy, right? I mean, I got attacked on social media pretty intensely for a while. Really? Oh, gosh. Oh, my gosh. Um, And that's okay. I I knew it would happen, right? In August, (laughs) when I had a decision there to either... Just send outreach workers there mm-hmm. and do the best I could, yeah. and just to let it go and yeah. focus on my work at the agency. Yeah, yeah. Um, I chose to not do that and instead take a leadership role, put yes. myself out there, and I knew do the some, uncomfortable
0: work. Yes, yes.
3: Which would also result in funding coming in, and yeah. that's the breaking point for. What a was the main thing the people were saying to you? You like, know, oh, I had one person, it doesn't matter who, you know, who kind of posted broadly uh, in public that, you know, where's the money mm-hmm. going? You know, she goes on all oh, these trips God. and these four-star hotels, right? Yeah, yeah. I wish, right? <laughs> I do travel a lot for work. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, and part of me is, like, most people Ugh. making these kind of accusatory statements against myself or other, like, Mike Gozi here got attacked, Mary Lagarde. Yeah. You know, all of us who got attacked... Are being attacked by people who've never run a nonprofit. They don't yeah. have any understanding oh, of, totally of what makes... it really means. Yes. Or to call us out as just being part of this nonprofit industrial complex, it's like, yes. I understand there's a fr- level of frustration. However, yeah. right, I also employ our community. Yes. Right? And I don't have any power. I can't go to the legislature and make them change their mind, which is the other element to the nonprofit industrial complex. I can't be part of it by virtue of the fact that even if I tried, I have no power. Yes.
0: And you need that full circle. And nobody talks about the, uh, if you're, nobody talks about, um, I mean, if you have read the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, it talks about finding the cer- your circle of uh, influence and not just like, what what, and what should I focus on that I can actually do? Yeah. My circle of concern is huge yeah. and all this really matters, but I'm not going to be able to change this. So within my power yeah. and my influence, yeah. where can I yeah. impact the most?
3: And I don't oh, That and just annoys me crap out of me. Well, yeah. <laughs> and, it's, and it's true. Like, uh, you know, these last four or five months oh. have been like a learning experience for myself as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, also kind of a self-recognition of like the work, like the, the staff I have at the agency yeah. really do amazingly remarkable work. Yeah. Every day. Okay. Um, that I don't think the general, like most in the community really appreciate and understand. For but, sure, yeah. But the other thing that really struck me during all this is, you know, many times <laughs> there would be community or on Facebook or whatever. This call, We need this, like all these mm-hmm. demands of what we need. Or, where are you? I don't see you here. and the, You know, all this kind of, I called it noise. But it was noise focused around all these demands. And at one point, I was in a meeting with a young woman who who was like hitting me like, well, we need this and this. And I know because of this that we need this. She had all these lists of demands. And I, I finally looked and I was like, no one asked me to yeah. do this. No one asked Mike Ozie to step forward. No one asked us to step forward. If you think those things are needed, do it yes there's nothing stopping you from doing it it's crazy how
0: that snowballs of like of course you start doing something and now because you start doing something you're not doing enough it's like what the
3: hell well and it's just interesting to me it also speaks to me to the kind of the level of of trauma and dysfunction even in the community right Mm. you know when, when you think like when I think back um how our communities were before contact even right it was an egalitarian kind of society where not everyone was equal because you can't be equal with everyone but everyone was respected for what they could do for the collective right there was a collective way of living Mm -hmm. and so someone wouldn't just say well we need more whatever I need we need more firewood they would instead go out and get firewood or take people with them or, you know, mm-hmm. check in on the elder to make sure the elder has enough firewood, because you know they can't get it themselves, yes. right? That yes. that's, it's not just what do we need, but that next level of, and what am I going to do about meeting that need, whether mm. it's in my circle or not. If it's not in my circle and I can't, then I need yeah. to find someone who may be able to help Yes, to, to have them focus on that need. Yes, And so all levels, even with the encampment, we needed people grassroots on the ground meeting the immediate needs. We Mm -hmm. needed needed needles being exchanged and, you know, harm reduction. And we needed all of that going on. Mm -hmm. But then to yell or call out, well, where is everyone? I don't see people here at the camp helping fails to recognize that while that's going on at the ground. Mm-hmm. There are also meetings being held that people have to be at yeah. in order to organize around, okay, what is this navigation center going to look like? Who's going to fund it, right? Maybe we need to meet with these philanthropic More well-meaning foundations. ignorance of like, you don't,
0: know, you don't know what goes into how much work it takes, how many people, yeah. how many meetings it takes yeah. to make this happen. And,
3: and for those who may have even participated in the social media kind of blast out hmm. um, about what wasn't being done. You know, I I would love to challenge them to, you know, at some point, and maybe I'll circle back, we'll see. I'm still bitter. I'm still still hurt a little bit. (laughs) But to kind of circle back and say, you know, did you ever consider with these thousands of people following you, organizing them in a way to respond to some of the demands you were making of me as a single person or Mike Gozi as a single person? When you were yelling at us that we weren't doing enough, can we point out what were you doing? Besides being on site and yelling out, right? Yes, you were doing some immediate harm reduction, Mm -hmm. but that does nothing to solve the bigger problem. Mm -hmm. Challenge you to think, what could you do with all the people following you to really make difference in the long-scale process, right? We could have put up a 25 by 30 foot tent had we had the manpower. Yeah. I never had the capacity to organize that level of volunteers. I yeah. don't have that level of following. Yeah. Right. I could have brought people from outside to set up yurts and tents and mm-hmm. teepees on a new site, but as no. far as moving people, oh yeah. Getting them to shift their that needed people on the ground who had relationship. Man, that that is the
0: biggest frustration I have with social media is that we have this false sense of action of like like, oh, man, why, yeah, I'm just, because you voiced your concern over, like, this thought that holding people accountable, you're now a part of the, the solution. <laughs> or some of, like, whatever that means, I just, is like, I love wow. social media in the fact of when it, when it can rally people to actually take positive action, that's really yeah. positive, or spread the word about something. But the negative side is it makes, it just has this really gross side to me where people feel like you feel like you're doing something by getting in like a comment argument with somebody or holding someone to <laughs> yeah i don't c-
3: comment argue oh. you know what though it's interesting because yeah i hired yeah um a person to help with the navigation like i had funding to do these these positions to help people at the navigation center and one person i reached out to was because i saw her level of organizing on facebook yeah like we need wood People yeah. would comment, I'll come get it. Or Bob yeah. over here has a truck. Bob, yes. can you, like. Yes. I didn't see her doing any kind of like, look uh, at all I'm doing. It was, this, this needs to be done. Yeah. And, and immediate.
2: Yeah.
3: Um, I was like, that's the level of organizing and focus. That's because cool. The the kind of, yeah, insidious side of social media is, uh, I can sum up a lot of that little blast out, right, in the fact that it is contrary to the value of humility. To me, it is grounded more in ego. Mm. And, and there's a narcissistic undertone to a lot of people. All, and Not just in my community, just as I see across the nation who do these tweets and these Facebook kind of posts about some kind of social ill um, that's more about them gaining attention mm. for the fact that they called attention to it. And yes. that is all ego.
0: Is that, would that fall under the tokenism that you're almost like say, using yeah. a little bit of yeah. people using the situation
3: yeah. to, to, to garner likes and posts and shares oh, which validates themselves. Yes. Not the issue at hand. Yes. Right. Oh um, man. Okay,
0: do you do you have like a couple more minutes? I want I'm to be respectful sorry, of your okay, time. I'm not, I'm gonna, it oh. is, yeah, let's check. What it is
3: 11.15. Oh yeah, no, I'm good.
0: Okay. I Because I have a question. This is this is maybe more on a personal level. Uh, my question is: in those scenarios, so say you're doing something, you're taking action, you have decided to um, do the uncomfortable thing, right? Mm-hmm. And movement. What, what do you do personally? What did you do personally when you started having people tweet or like do social media stuff at you? All this noise mm-hmm. starts coming in. What did you do personally, to like keep yourself sane?
3: You know. Um, well, number one, um, I, I didn't engage in it okay. and, um, once, and I didn't even know it was happening. Right. Cause the, okay. people, the main people who were doing it and sharing and it spreading had blocked me a well while before. <laughs> right. Um, cause
0: of course we block people, we get get them off our uh, social media property so we don't have to see them. They're not an eyesore on our feet. Well, not only it's that, just...
3: they can't call you out for lying.
0: Oh, interesting. You
3: know, I mean, so yeah. there's also, mm. a, um, Yeah. You Interesting. block I, the I response. About, yeah. If I block you, I can say whatever I want about you and you can't hold ever me accountable. hold you yeah, accountable. Totally. Right? Um, so I didn't get him. The only oh, reason I knew gosh. it was happening is I, I had a, a couple of friends like screenshot and send things to me. Um, and I was like, listen, you know, please um. don't. Um, and then I did. <laughs> please, do. I know, and I did. Well-meaning ignorance. I know, and I did make a, I yeah, like yeah. a public post and basically said, you know, thank you to because a lot of people started reaching out to me too. Yes. Are you okay? Are, right. Yes. yes. Um, and so I just I sent a post out saying, listen, I'm okay. I'm not seeing this stuff. Yeah. Um, but please don't comment. Don't defend me, because that only validates it. Mm. Right. Um, I also try to the best of my ability. It's hard sometimes to follow kind of a. Uh, um, world belief of uh, you know, what you put out is mm. what comes back. And so mm. and that everything we say is essentially a prayer. So if, if I say a lot of negative stuff, I'm basically praying for that negative stuff.
0: And oh, if someone says something that. negative to yeah. me and I
3: respond to it in a defensive negative response, mm-hmm. then in fact, I've validated what they've said rather than mm. just ignoring it. So um, I posted that out, said, please don't. And instead, if you see something negative, post something positive about the work that's being done. Oh. Not in response to them, but in general yes, response. Yes, not on their feed oh. or
0: that. Yes. Oh.
3: And just keep the positive going because there's so much more positive than negative. Also, uh, I realized... Tina, that is so brilliant. Well, that's such a brilliant approach it's, to social media. Um, yeah, and, and life in general. Well, and the uh, thing the, that yeah. happens too, right, because of all those algorithms, mm-hmm. uh, my Facebook feed is very superficial. And mm. I, I mean, I get to see people's puppy pictures yes. and very few public or, or um, political or even like, like things, news, new stuff yeah. even feeds in yes. so I can control it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I, I also finally did block some people mm-hmm. who just seem to do nothing but negative posting. Yeah. Um, ignorant, negative posting, and it, you know it's noise. Mm-hmm. It to me, Facebook allows people to have basically a bar conversation at a table. Yes. Publicly, um, I wouldn't eavesdrop on their conversation at the bar. Yeah. And so I'm sure people say, you know, talk shit about me all the time. Yes. But I have no way of knowing.
0: Yes. It's like why it, it's it's so obvious to me. If someone if someone said, okay, I'm gonna give you the superpower. To if to know what everybody has said about you, positive or negative, oh, yeah. it's a no-brainer that I would say hell no. Yeah,
2: hell, hell I hard pass.
0: No. I would go insane <laughs> knowing right? that. Why would I? Why do I enter into that on Facebook? Right. And now you talk about algorithm algorithms. What's fascinating, and I feel like people don't understand this, is that if say I'm not friends with someone talking ne- about something negative, but you and I are friends, and you comment on them. Even if f- you are calling them out now that's now you're actually spreading their negativity because yep. that's showing up on my feed. Yeah. so you inadvertently are like adding fuel to their fires, yes. and I just think everything you're saying is making me think of, and I'm maybe taking this too deep, but I'm thinking of like what am I adding? I've got my log what whose fire am I adding to? Am I adding to your negativity? am I yeah. what am I adding to positive? Well,
3: and I think that you know Facebook can be, or use of social media in general, can be a great tool in organizing, right? Mm -hmm. I think to myself, what if they'd had that at the time when they, at Selma, right?
2: Mm
3: -hmm. Um, Could it even been bigger? Mm -hmm. But there was a lot of planning that went in to kind of organizing before social media. And now I think a lot of us have gotten lazy and the face, the, the social media in and of itself becomes your planning vehicle, You know, um, so there needs to be more deliberate kind of messaging and, um, focus and, you know, planning. And then the social media is a tool rather than the only thing. It's not
0: the end goal. No, it's not. Yeah.
3: And, and to be honest too, you know, um, like, what is the purpose of whatever mm. thing you're gathering everyone to, you know, storm the, the bridge, right? Yeah. Is, is it to raise issues around an, uh, something that no one is seeing, which is what it was in the past, yeah. right? Or is it about you want to show on Instagram and social media and Snapchat that you were engaged, right? Yes. I was at a convening last week around uh, oh, developing federal policy around so e- deep, ending yeah. violence. Mm-hmm. Um, And so there are people from all over. Um, And it was funny because our small group started talking and this conversation kind of came up, like, Mm -hmm. what can social media be a tool for? And someone was talking about a very powerful rally they had for workers, you know, uniting around the issue of violence, right? That so many housekeepers and waitresses like are assaulted in their job, but for those who are either... Um, their immigration status is, is not solid, or they're a marginalized community, or they need that job, right, that mm-hmm. they don't report it, Yeah, you know, that they had this huge rally, and it actually led to some changes, because it just kept growing, mm-hmm. and, I, and, and I jokingly said, you know, unlike the Women's March, right, which yeah. was more of a social media yeah. event, because nothing, like, there was nothing after it, not at a national level. I hope in little pockets I'm just not aware yeah. of. But to me, it seemed more about, I'm at the march. Here are my pictures of all the women. It's like all those women, like, yes. all that energy Interesting. just died out because there wasn't the, the deep-seated planning before about what is the purpose.
0: Yeah. So What, th- are was, we, what it, is our goal? And a massive awareness effect. Yeah. But the follow-up you're saying, okay. it just fascinating. I wouldn't, I mean... Here's, right, here's my problem where I'm at in life is I have a hard time. Dis, I'm, I struggle discerning in these scenarios where my own, what I'm looking through. Am I looking through the lens of my own experience in, say, someone, else, someone called it my, my own whiteness or, or dude-ness or whatever yeah, the white guy, Am I looking at this and I need to, or am I seeing it authentically for what it is? So when I see something like that, and if I were to think, well there's it's just a big social media thing or it's everybody's like are you really taking action are you going there for the afternoon taking a cool picture more about you it's more about you so anyways and now as i'm rambling about me i'm just like it's everything you're saying i'm just trying to you're saying something that i resonate with and i think that's interesting but I've never been able, I could never say that because I, I as a guy yeah, right. in my white dude-ness, <laughs> I, who knows where this, what lens I'm looking through. Well, so even
3: at the time, right, I, yeah. I'll be honest, right? Yeah. I did not post broadly, right? Yeah. I've never, um, agency-wide or personally made a broad statement even about the Me Too movement mm-hmm. and the challenges even that exist within that movement around yes. marginalized communities, right? Um, because of that kind of fact like yeah. the the sometimes the movement to whatever movement is against violence or whatever seems more interested in attacking each other about who's more right hmm. than it is about the bigger problem yeah And so I don't even engage in it because I don't have time. I'm not going to Facebook comment. It's knowing it's
0: knowing that this is going to have no impact. I even if I
3: post something kind of controversial or political on my Facebook, Mm -hmm. I always put a disclaimer.
0: Yeah, okay. I I
3: will not engage into arguing. If you want to call me or meet me for coffee, let's have a talk. Yes. But I will delete your post if you try, and I will. You know, I don't block them, but I will delete them and keep deleting them. Yes. um, Because it's my feed yes it's my, this is my space this is my comment yes. and my feelings yes um I'm i love not gonna,
0: that i love that
3: yeah, yeah if you're gonna if you're gonna challenge it come sit down with me yeah and let's have a conversation about yeah. it more than in a few characters in a comment well
0: yeah man that's so good okay i want first of all before i ask this next question i want to acknowledge that as uh that is I do totally acknowledge that it's not your job to educate. It's not your responsibility to well, educate kinda, anybody. It
3: kind of is. I've taken that on, right? Yeah. I do. I do do yeah, that. So if you
0: take it, if you do it, that's I your choice. I have yes. accepted it as a role. I love that. So, but if you had, if you had a voice to say, say, someone said, "I'm gonna change the algorithms of Facebook," and if you could say something that would show up on every, I'm just thinking of my situation white dudes Facebook feed a message <laughs> something that you could say like what would you what would be like the message
3: uh, you know I, I think my message would be the same that I kind of, I said last week in this kind of mixed group um is imagine a world yeah if we all saw each other as relatives hmm. and so if the the police whom people are calling for the dismantling and and you know ending the penal system and all yeah. that. If, if the community saw them as people and our relatives, and the police saw communities most impacted by policing as their relatives, right, if, if, if we shifted that kind of uh, dichotomous view of good, bad, right, evil, pure, and um, a recognition of just the collective humanity of all, what world, imagine what kind of world we would be in. And then we would stop needing, I think, for the most part to have these conversations about how do we end violence, right? How do we create a policy around violence, right? What what are our opinions on violence, right? How can we mm. spend $500 to go to an MMA fight and watch two guys or girls beat the snot out of each other in a cage, and then on the flip side go to work where we're advocating for a world free of violence, right? I mean. Mm. I, as as people, right? How how do we treat each other in humanity, mm-hmm. and get rid of the othering? Oh, and what would the world look like globally? Man.
0: I love. I just love your. I, I love your view of like, um, combating combating othering. Whether it is even what you said earlier really resonated with me of like the thought of uh, even, uh, like, nature. conservation Mm -hmm. something like that of like we are connected to the earth like we're connected to everything what i do here the words i speak are prayers like you said the things actions i do things impact the earth and the Mm -hmm. environment uh like this connectedness really i think i really do believe that like the answer is like connectedness and like that paradigm that you're about. And I think about.
3: people need to really address kind of their own internal traumas yeah. in order to, to feel that connectedness. Mm. I mean, this, this is a little different from a lot of the, the kind of education here, but, you know, we're talking about historic trauma and the trauma in the Native community. Um, from my perspective, when I think about it, our community has the shortest period of trauma. Yeah. Um, it just goes back to first contact, right, 500 years ago. Um, the individuals who came here from wherever they came. You know, the dark ages were a horribly traumatic time. The Roman conquest, the, I mean, when you think of kind of the history over in Europe and even in Africa of how long and deep seated violence has been
0: Mm -hmm. often
3: bedded in taking, right? Um, Conquering and just spreading the empire. Um, Most of the people who came here have far more trauma but sadly, they've disconnected themselves from the source of their healing because they're not embedded in their homelands anymore. So, you know, you, you'll hear people say, you know, oh, I'm Irish because they know their great-great-grandfather mm-hmm. came here from Ireland. They have no idea what it means to be Ireland, like to be of the Ireland's land. Yes. What, what were healing methods before yeah. first contact for individuals in Ireland, right? Um, even for the African-American like that, that is the truest tragedy in this country is that Mm. they were stolen from their lands and so much time has passed. They don't even know where they're from. Right. It's why so many people do these bogus DNA tests, um, that will only tell them where their DNA is located now. Yeah. Not where it was 500, 600 years ago. Right. Um, but this deep need to know where we're from.
0: Oh Yeah. Um, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for the DNA testing. Totally. If like, yeah, let's figure that out. But it's, you're talking about, there's a shallowness to it. It almost it's, sounds like what you're well saying. yeah, because if,
3: it really only tells you where the DNA is now.
0: Oh, okay. And
3: only if people, they have data, like talk about algorithms, right? They have proprietary algorithms that fill in the gaps yeah. that they won't share for um, accuracy. And then everyone really? who participates in DNA because of the information they share helps feed their database.
0: Yeah. So their database oh. is a
3: database of data that may or may not be accurate. Really? And even like Native American, right? People yeah. People know it. It's the entire Western Hemisphere counts as Native American in most of those DNA tests. It's North, Central, and South America. Yeah. Because they don't have enough data.
0: Oh, To even man. specify
3: like where it is. So it, it breaks my heart because a lot of African um, descent, slave descendants... Yeah were in areas where they intermingled with the tribes there because the tribes didn't care like they were even sites of underground railroad to to save people and rescue they intermarried they had kids and so these families will have this kin stories folklore Mm -hmm. about well yeah my great great grandmother was married to a cherokee man or a choctaw yeah um but then when they send out for their DNA, it says either no Native American or very, very low. Mm. And it's changing the way they see their history. The family story, based on the science, is mm-hmm. more likely accurate than the DNA.
0: Really? And so that's making almost people question Question that.
3: or agree. Oh, yeah, or oh, agree. Great-great-grandma lied. Like, yeah. there's kind of a joke right in the South. A lot of black people, oh, yeah, we all are Cherokee. Well, it's sad because a, a lot of them are. And that connects mm-hmm. into this land, mm-hmm. right, one drop is all it takes to connect you to the land you're from, yeah. for
0: sure yeah. um okay, okay, so tell me on that because I have Cherokee blood in me, uh, but I, that so that connection so it, it just adds even more to my own confusion of like okay, how much like how connected am I? It's almost like you said even deserving of like connection of that acknowledging of like yeah my. It, it didn't show up in my DNA testing, but because my grandparents are always talking about it, yeah. it that, with it, and you know. it almost like, qu- all of a sudden your question is like, oh, were they like mistaken or what else? Mm-hmm. What's no. happening with this? No, they knew. Yeah. yeah, fascinating. Do you see any like, oh man, I'm just fascinated with your thought of tokenism earlier, mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder does that I wonder if that ha- is happening because of now with these DNA tastings of like oh yeah I've got some Native American Amy or I've got this well even
3: the commercial right yeah. the woman's like I'm whatever native and they this plethora of native pottery and art like behind her that has no meaning yes right yeah um, it, it's it's not how much blood or how what percentage you yeah, are yeah. at all yeah Um. it's like how can how connected art how much have you learned right yes. I mean um, I can only speak oh, as so someone, yeah. you know, who, you know, when I went to Standing Rock and I brought my son,
2: mm-hmm.
3: um, you know, my, my family is from Standing Rock and Shire. I mean, Jerry, is that yeah. your son's name? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there's something that happens when you are con- like standing on soil mm. that is literally saturated with the DNA of your relatives and ancestors, right? The trees, mm. everything, the water um, for millennia, my ancestors lived and died there and mm. went back into the soil, right? There, there's something there, right? So, so for people like Ojibwe, people who pick sage and burn sage, yeah. They are, yeah, of course those are prayers to their ancestors. That sage grew out of ground, saturated with the DNA of their relatives.
0: What did that feel like standing there for the first time?
3: You know, it, 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 it felt very grounding. Oh. Like, I mean, like the, the soil reco- like mm. acknowledged me and I acknowledged it. Right. I mean, like that sentient. Oh,
0: that's so gorgeous. Yeah, I love that. That,
3: that feeling that there's a sentient being mm. that's not human, that exists everywhere too.
0: Mm.
3: Um, and, you know, it's interesting. I went to South Africa a couple of years ago um, and met with some indigenous youth um, down there who mm. were reclaiming land through kind of radical farming. They're um, like guerrilla farming is what they called it. And they were in a fight, a court battle um, yeah. to see if they could reclaim that land because it was military, the queen gave it to the Dutch, you know, mm-hmm. for a military base that hadn't been used forever. So they yeah. just squatted and took it over. Um, you know, I, when we were all talking about what they were doing, you know, I kind of went to the group, kind of separate from the larger population, and just said, "Listen, you know, no matter what the court says." the soil knows who you are, and mm-hmm. you know who it is. It, that will never change, even if mm-hmm. the court says you can't be here, right? Know that, Yeah. Um, that the legal arena is, is superficial to, to, the, like, to that recognition of something yes. that's way bigger than anybody's laws.
0: Yeah, the laws that were made, yes.
3: You know, oh, and, yes. and they were growing sage and, you know, yes. um, yeah. that they also cooked with and, smoked, you know, and cleansed. I mean, there, there's this kind of interconnection that yeah. you can feel. Uh, I mean, I came back from South Accra with a, with a true, like, understanding of colonization mm. as a global scale effect yeah. and also the interconnection at a global scale mm. to the earth rather than to my country, or that kind of sense of nationalism that's yes. usually also embedded in capitalism, taking, discovering, yes. right? Yes.
0: It's interesting, and though. I mean, if you
3: think <laughs> about it, um, like I have a, a good friend who, who's, who's a white woman, very liberal, yeah, right? yeah. has been all over the world, um, you know, global-minded, and it, the last election really mm-hmm. threw her for a loop, mm-hmm. um, in that she didn't understand how so many white women voted for Trump. Yeah. Um, and so she's essentially started a nonprofit, got some funding to like deeply research that. Um,
0: fascinating, right? Yes.
3: But you know, when I think about it, I'm not that surprised, Hmm. right? And maybe it is because of, you know, my experience with most people, not truly understanding, knowing, having any appreciation, of like the historical context of indigenous people, like that most people have a very superficial understanding and they operate just fine in the world with that, Mm -hmm. right? In fact, it protects them,
2: Mm.
3: right? Every inch of land is stolen, every single inch. Mm. That's uncomfortable for people to build their businesses on if they acknowledge it, right? I see the same thing in some demographic groups of these white liberal, or not even liberal women, but there would be, I mean, if you were truly happy staying at home in a hyper-conservative family, where your role was to support your husband who worked Mm -hmm. and raise your children, Mm -hmm. and you found joy in that, why should that be disvalued, right? It's more how do you connect their sense of how the world should be in a broader aspect of freedom than that this president will protect it, right? It's it's trying to disconnect the politicism Mm. of that world. Why do I have to get this woman to see that her life for others is very like sad and pathetic? No, it's not. If she's truly happy in that role. Yes. That should be honored and respected rather yes. than challenged and, you know, what's wrong with you? Well, yeah. what's wrong with her? She just, you know, is operating from everything she knows, like the most of the country does as far as indigenous things. Yes. You know, so oh. it seems very connected to me um, in a way. So I will be interested to see how my friend kind of like with the arc of this whole project at the end, what does she come up with? Yes. I, Cause her view mm. is also clouding the way she sees other white women very intensely mm. from her view. Women need an education. If women are educated, then that's what, you know, she yes. also has a very defined, narrow kind of perspective of what, Mm-hmm. A woman is yes that is contrary to her like she can't understand why someone wouldn't like why wouldn't she go to school like yes it doesn't make any sense to her yes and so and she's politicized it in a way that I'll be interested to see if in a couple of years yeah especially if he's reelected like if she can like see it more broadly it's more to me how do I connect with that woman to see collectively. Oh that you know her way of living is just should be just as respected as yes. mine and that I shouldn't support oh, any candidate yes. that would undermine her mm-hmm. happiness any more than she would want to hire or elect someone who would undermine mine.
0: Yes. Oh man. I that I love that. That sense of curiosity of like, okay, you no, know, what is your way of life? And what are you trying to hold on to in your own way of life that you feel is threatened? Yeah. Because so many red flags pop in my mind when so many of my friends, uh, so many of my liberal friends say, who how did Trump get voted? Who's voting for Trump? who's in the... And I whenever people start saying that, I'm like, who are these people, who are these idiots voted for this? I instantly, red flags come to mind of saying, oh, you... That tells me you're living in a bubble that you're surrounding yourself with only people that think like you, right? positive or negative, whatever Mm -hmm. it is, and you you are unable to realize that there's this other world, right or wrong in some ways, that think differently than you. They value different things. Mm -hmm. They hold on to different things. They want that. Mm -hmm. So it's just, for me, and it's the reason I, it's kind of the reason this whole podcast is turning into, of like, what, to me, the... Ultimate humility, curiosity in its core—like what curiosity is—is is humility. To recognize mm-hmm. I don't have all the answers. It's mm-hmm. not just about questions; it's about it's about a way we look at the world and say maybe the way I grew up isn't the way everybody grew up, which is obvious to most people. And mm-hmm. maybe the way I think about things isn't the right things. How does everybody else think about mm-hmm. things and approach it? Yeah. And so, if I have like any, and I have a message, but that's my main thing yeah. right now of, like, I think the ultimate humility is having a genuine sense of curiosity about these women and what is going on in your life and why do you find this so valuable? and Yeah. And instead of the well-meaning ignorance. Yeah, kind well-meaning of. meaning ignorance. <laughs> it's like, it's kind of seems what this theme is. Okay, uh, I want to be respectful of your time. Uh-huh. I've got two questions okay for you uh, that are purely, uh, purely self-selfish, uh, uh, I coming from me and where I'm at in life. Number one. Indian Native American First Nationals, what is the right thing? Because yeah. I've heard over the years, like what's the right terminology yeah. for this?
3: What do you call us, right? That that yeah. is a question you'll always get a different answer from depending okay. on who you ask. Okay. Um I, you know, I prefer that you would refer to me as Lakota, right? I mean, because that's who I am. Mm. Um but like in this neck of the woods, American Indian is way more popular. Um, a lot of it, I think, is embedded in the American Indian movement, the AIM movement that yeah. grew up right here, yeah. right? Um, and it's um, kind of connected to the treaty rights,
0: mm. right? Mm-hmm. American
3: Indian is, is how the federal government recognized and, you know, it's in, in the treaties and, yes. you know, we're American Indian. And, um, but in other neck of the woods, right, um, most tribes don't have treaties, Mm. Of the 570 plus. I think it's 73 right now, but it's always growing. So for those tribes, many of them don't resonate as much with American Indian. Yes. Um, in you know, kind of the PC era, we did get Native American bubbled up. Yes. Um, I, I'm more inclined to use Native American if I used to have to do it generally. Okay. Because I'm Native first and American second. It's mm. kind of tongue in cheek. Yes. Um, it also, I think, is a little more inclusive of all the mm. tribes that are in America, the United yep. States of America. Um, because when I say indigenous, then I'm getting, I'm erasing the borders. So mm. for me, the first nations people of Canada, um, all the tribal people in this and, and all way into South America, right. Those were all indigenous and yeah. to this side of the world.
0: Yeah.
3: Um, and so that makes it a much, so if I'm going to use indigenous, it's going to be a much broader,
0: yeah.
3: um, inclusivity to the to who I'm including in that yeah uh, I think we're all indigenous but everyone's indigenous somewhere right and I've yeah. and I've heard some oh, people say good. well really you know good. if if you're you know anybody who's born here is Native American I'm like mm, no if I take a, a plant from England and I put it here it may grow but it'll be never it'll never be native oh that's such a great response
0: yes right? never okay, I can, yeah um
3: it'll always be a transplant hmm. Uh, it might even like cross-pollinate with things and create something new. Yeah, that will be native to this land because it grew out of this land. But no, sorry, uh, you'll never be Native American yeah. if you are not from the soil. Fascinating.
0: with with you with everything you're saying in this conversation, and I uh, and stuff, I was watching some of your videos before this. It really sounds like you hold a lot of weight and importance on finding like going deep into the core of who you are and you're finding your full self and embracing like where you're from. Uh, and I feel like it, it resonated with me in, the, in your main thing is, uh, with the video I was watching, it was, it was in reference to this, mm-hmm. into this community that we're in right now. Mm-hmm. But I connected with it, it makes me want to go deeper into the core of who I am and like embrace that. And So when you're saying that yeah. there, it's almost like it's not, I feel like people in my world of community, my whiteness, my white dude ness, <laughs> there can defensive walls come up because yeah. when and I think of like the people that push back on like, well, all lives matter. When I hear that crap, Think like, whoa, <laughs> just because someone's embracing their full heritage and the yeah. fullness of themselves doesn't mean it's hindering or right. yourself. It's yeah. not taking Asking away from for your rights.
3: Family. Doesn't take yours away. Yes. Yeah. Yes.
0: And even more so, it, it. Hopefully, it could be. Maybe it should be inspiring you to fully embrace who you fully are and while embracing other people. And so we can like celebrate each other and where we're from. I, I don't know. I'm just all that to say, I'm super inspired by that.
3: Well, I'm sure a lot of it, um, is connected to the fact I'm adopted. Oh, okay. Um, So, uh, though I was raised by an Osage family from Oklahoma, who happened to be in North Dakota, and I'm guessing because they presented more as white farmers to the adoption mm-hmm. agency, because um, it was 1970. At that time, Native people would not have been adopted by another Native family. I mean, the policy Why? was to place Native kids in white families, mostly white farmers in that neck of the woods. So the fact that my family was Native, right? You know, my dad's an enrolled member of the Osage Nation. Yes. Um, had, a, had a connection. However, the adoption agency told my dad when he asked why there wasn't family that no one wanted. I wasn't wanted because I was a half breed Mm. right Um, because my mom was Russian my dad was Lakota so oh okay um, and that may not that didn't make sense to him but I think he told me that like I always Mm. knew I was adopted I also always kind of knew that because Mm. he didn't want me to search and be rejected like it was a, him protecting me. So it wasn't until my 30s when I started practicing in the Indian Child Welfare Act cases and started meeting tribal people from their Indian Child Welfare departments that I started to learn that, wait a minute, what the agency told my yeah. dad is foreign in every single tribe group I've, I've met or worked really? with. And so I started, yeah, digging deep. And about, about 10 years ago, I did a search um, found my um, mother, uh, found my grandmother and family. What? And oh. my grandmother um, told me she wanted to raise me more than anything. Um, she was 40 at that time. She would have been young yeah. enough. Um, but my mother's parents swept her away to an unwed mother home. Mm. Um, and when she came back, she wasn't pregnant. Right, So they had yeah. no idea in the, na- in Problem the country. Problem solved. Yeah. And what's interesting, too, is um, I'm the one who told my mother where she gave birth. Yeah. Um, she didn't know because they would picked her up in the middle of the night they um, transported them. Your mom
0: didn't know where to...
3: No, she did not know where in the country oh, she'd given birth. Gosh. All she knew was it was, you know, a f- three, four hours from her home. Yeah. But she didn't know if she'd gone north, south, east, or west. And then when they took her home, same thing. Middle of the night, drove her home in a um, van that had no windows. Intentionally?
0: Intentionally, like in- right? of... Sec-
3: then she couldn't find... She wouldn't be able to turn around and find me, right? Oh, my um, gosh. And was kept in the house. Like yeah. when she went to Fargo from Mulbridge, South Dakota, ended up in Fargo, not able to leave the house until she oh. gave birth. So, you know, the kind of, it was really for me, like learning the history, like like yes. intentionally yes. Um, educating myself about the entire spectrum of history and to see where I fit in it. Yeah. And also seeing that, you know, even my, like the beginnings of my life were really embedded in a, a racism and, you know, trying to save me by putting mm-hmm. me with this other family, right? Um, and, and just kind of owning it. Mm. But like I said, I'm almost fifty, right? Maybe. So I had to. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's cr- <laughs> trying to so, think about it. Uh, my so, and I have the privilege uh, to think about it, right? That's the well, other thing, right? I train nationally on federal Indian law and on history. Yeah. And, you know, trainings on the historic context, of first contact, and how we view Native people and why we have all the problems we have. There's this whole arc you can watch yeah. um, or observe. Uh, you know, so I, in my positions now for quite some time, yeah. have the time where it's my job to think yeah. about this stuff yeah. and apply it at a policy level and, uh, like, a system response better. Yeah. You know, so that, that's what I do. Yes. And because it's my community... Yes. I'm, I'm, it's affecting myself personally too, mm-hmm. right? Which mm-hmm. is why outside, like, you know, a white run yeah. agency that's doing homeless work, right? Yeah. They may know the whole history and arc of homelessness. Yeah. If they've never been homeless or had anything to do with it, yeah. there's no personal growth in it. Yes. To connect them to the community they're serving. Yes. Which is, you know, why now I'm at the point where I'm like, you have no business. Really? Right. So, yeah. So, if agencies reach out to me and want to like partner, so they can meet the needs of the native community better, I, my response usually to them is, "Why are you? Okay. I mean, why aren't you just referring them to us or referring to the other native native agencies?" So, you'd recommend
0: native? them like the, them partnering with uh, someone that's already there, a part of it. How can you, the question maybe is like, how can you support these agencies? Is yeah, that what and, you're saying?
3: and and send those clients yeah. to us where we see them as relatives. Oh yes. And and stop. Rescuing or saving, mm. um, and step out. Just step out of it, yeah, uh, and let the communities themselves work with their own community. Mm. Um, it's why you know it's it's funny to me. I'll go to these kind of executive director leadership meetings, yeah, and there'll be all these you know people who are serving communities not of their own. Mm-hmm. And the struggles they're having at their agency is how do we retain a diverse, mm-hmm. you know, employees and, and our board. Like, how do mm-hmm. I get a diverse board? And, and how do I get, you know, victim voices? Like, all these things that they struggle with. And I just sit there. And I'm like, um, wow. Like, I, we're really blessed that we have none of those problems. Yeah. I, I, because my employees are the community. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, my board, man. I mean, I have a white man. He's my diversity candidate, right? And he's Ukrainian. He's not he's not even he wasn't even born here, right? Yeah, I yeah.
2: mean
3: um yeah I've two spirit, I have all women, all, and mostly native. I mean and that just happened by default, not through any intentionality.
0: It, it's not forcing it because you had some sort of checklist, okay, yeah. we've got these people, yeah. now we got we're good to yeah. go. We're properly yeah. diversified. I'm diversified <laughs> now, yes. so we're good. Yeah, right? we're good to go. Yeah. Oh man, that is that's so heavy to me. I'm just th- that everything just that brings up like a million questions too. Cause, and I'm even thinking about like all every this whole conversation to me is thinking about connectedness. To yeah. me, it seems like this flow of
3: that. Metakwasen. Yeah, Matakwas. Metakwasen. Metakwasen. It's all things related. All oh. things interconnected. A oh, man. It's a Lakota phrase. Ma-
0: um, what did, by the way, the phrase that you open up that hello in our emails, what was that phrase that you, uh, I can't I remember what did I say? Did I say petriwash Yes.
3: It's a, like, it's a beautiful day. Good, good day. Good morning. Oh man, good I love day. that. Kiana yeah. uh, day is like, good morning. Petra Day yeah. is a little more like, man. general. Lila and petriwash is a really beautiful day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh man, we could. I could go a million different directions and talk to you about adoption and all this. These questions I have, but let me. I want. I'm going to pull it to time. end with this. Different time. <laughs> let me pull Different with this. podcast. I'm, I'm, let's end it here. And this is a loaded question. I ended on, uh, but I want to be hyper specific to my community. I am in the rock touring world of music. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, uh, re- relationships I have with people out there thinking differently. But the music world is the one. Uh, is mm-hmm. the one I'm in, yeah. and. Uh, I go to a lot of festivals and I see a bunch of, that's why I was asking about Native American, um, how, what's the proper terminology of it, but I see a lot of like Native American clothing and stuff like that. I, do you have any, like what goes through your mind when you see something <laughs> you know, that makes sense when I'm trying to picture of like uh, the headdresses or any right. of oh, that? God,
3: yeah. Uh, it's funny cause, I um, was it a couple years ago? I think a couple years ago. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Um, One of the managers of Duran Duran reached out to us um, to support. Yeah. Yeah. Um, John Taylor had seen an article we were cited in and he wanted to learn more about it. And and so I I got to fly to Choctaw and go to one of their concerts. I was pretty remarkable. Like the 16 year old, 15 year old girl. And he was like dying. Oh my gosh. Yes. But I had a conversation with the manager um, about headdresses, like in Mm -hmm. particular, right. That, Anytime non-native people wear essentially regalia um, because it's pretty, because it's cool, right? They're erasing all the history that's embedded in those items. And like a headdress, um, a headdress has a ceremonial, it has a deep meaning within the Plains tribes that had them. Um, Those feathers are earned. Like every feather is earned through some action, Mm. like touching an enemy and not killing them, right? Stealing a horse, right? I mean, yeah. um, And generally only worn by men. Ever. Really? Yes.
0: Um, Um, It just. Oh man, I'm I'm laughing out of uncomfortableness of my own shallow ignorance of everything.
3: And, yeah. the, and the jewelry, right? If people are wearing jewelry that they got from a, like a native jeweler yes. and didn't just buy it from Macy's okay. or, or somewhere, yeah. right? If there's a history behind it or they're supporting native art, that's completely different. But mm. a headdress is never, ever appropriate. Really? Um, and you know, I don't know if, if you've watched it, right? I did a series of videos on kind of the historic context of first contact and interpretation of native women as being sluts and easy and whores coming all the way to the modern time where you see white girls in bikinis wearing a headdress, right? That mm. it's the same thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, but, you know, the kind of sexualization of these headdresses and came out of um, an era where the tribes are being terminated, right? Where um, we, they were desperately, as a federal system, trying to um, erase us. It, through federal policy the dawes act and so you saw a lot of the burlesque and imagery of the early 1900s even oh, the yeah. 1800s yeah. of women even with compact makeup right with the headdress and often they're holding peace pipes or drums or yes and at that point it was illegal for us to have those items Oh, my so, gosh. Um, you know, there are, like, dark ceremonies now that are in at night, and that's because they went underground during this period. Like, we... we It's
0: competed. to acknowledge and remember that that happened? Well, or
3: because to continue the ceremony, we had to hide them because it was illegal for us to practice um, through federal oh law, gosh. right? We would lose food yeah, rations. Yeah. We'd be, it, like, lots of harsh penalty would occur mm-hmm. if they found us. Plus, the boarding schools were also going on at this time. Mm. So... During this burlesque, and even in the like f- boys, um, what's a boys' club? Uh, Four, not 4H, but yeah. Uh, you know what I'm doing girls. just brain for, uh, scouts Boy Scouts, yeah. Boy Scouts, right? Yeah. So they had these native like camps, right? Oh, very yeah, prevalent oh, yeah. in the 50s.
0: Well, man, I that's what I grew up in. I grew up in Nebraska, and so it was very much a shallow understanding of we couldn't this do those pioneer days, those
3: singing those those yeah. tomahawk. None of that until the yes. um, 70s. It was the, the Indian Freedom of the Religious 70s. Act was in the 70s. So the time that all of this was happening, right, um, our children were in boarding schools, mm-hmm. you know, um, our communities were being torn apart, yeah. right? Uh, termination eras were occurring through the yes. 50s into the 60s, right? The, in, the child removals that continued yeah. this day, right? So every time a music festival goer wears that, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That is privilege at its height. Like, it's not just a privilege to steal these, these items, but it's a privilege to ignore the fact that really everything they're wearing is dripping in blood and dripping in the trauma of the communities that they're Mm -hmm. honoring by stealing stuff they think is cool. Yes. Uh, It's, it's not cool
0: at all. And the only
3: reason it's allowable is because people don't think we're still here. So it's a genocidal costume, right? They're wearing their genocide openly. Yeah. That is
0: interesting. I'm just trying to process that last statement of like, don't realize we're still here. Yeah, I guess. Because my natural reaction... Is to be like, well, or there's just a misunderstanding of like the significance of things. Because you were born, you grew up in, without having connections to items and the spiritual significance to it. But I think you're, I think you're right in that, you're totally right in that it is a misunderstanding that, that's still here. And not knowing the culture that yeah, you're... because
3: why not wear Slavic
0: Yeah, items? Why yeah. not
3: wear African? Why yeah. not wear African tribal beading and stuff, right? I mean... yeah. But they wouldn't, mm. but they feel entitled to buy headdresses off.
0: Because it's trendy. Yeah. And you the, just, uh, and it's
3: cool. Right. Oh I my mean, gosh! so I have a lot of respect that, you know, some music festivals have banned them. Yeah. They have banned it outright, mm-hmm. but you know, it was just, what was it two or three years ago that, um, oh, what's the musician? He had a huge music festival, I believe in France. Okay. And the theme was fuck me. I'm famous. Okay. Um, Oh, and yeah. And yeah. it was a cowboy Indian theme. And so all the females were dressed in bikinis and headdresses. The men were dressed in sexy cowboy outfits. And, you know, they carried totems, like mock oh, totems man. around. I mean, it, it is like offensive at a gross level. Like, yeah. It's just crazy. Oh, man. But you still, you know, fam- you know, famous people for Halloween will dress up as, you know, cowboys and Indians, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. One woman, this last Halloween, dressed as a, up as a murdered and missing Indigenous woman. She dressed as a Native woman, and she was a cadaver, right? The, the to be able to do what? that, it is is it's so ugly, and and un, like she had no clue. Like she thought it was kind of tongue in cheek funny. Yeah. Oh man, that
0: is I cannot imagine seeing any of this through the lens of. Uh, the knowledge and wisdom and depth of the culture of like, of that is being stolen. Or from. that I can't our imagine kids like seeing see that people, as yeah. Our culture. Yeah. I can't, yeah. And having kids yeah. and seeing that hadn't been like, okay, this is the world my kids are going into of thinking this is all right. Yeah.
3: Man. At Halloween, right? I have a 15 yeah. or almost 16 year old and a 13 year old boy, right? Yeah. They go out and they see Pocahontas costumes everywhere, right? Yeah. That is, and that's usually. In dominant society, the only representative of native things they see, yeah, ever, yeah, right. So, yeah.
0: Oh man, that's yeah. I that is crazy to me. There's so much. It is. I just am so embarrassed. Actually, that's. I'm trying to think of words <laughs> for it. I, I just actually have no other words. Other well, it's just it is an education, right? Yeah.
3: I just think yeah. most people aren't aware. It's something yeah. pretty.
0: Yeah,
3: um, they. I mean, there was a deliberate erasure of yeah. Native, of the experience here, even though our history is, <laughs> should obviously be included in all history yeah. of this land. Mm. Um, but yeah. we aren't, right? Yeah. I mean, s- some textbooks literally say now, you know, that tribes moved to make room for settlement, you know, yeah. to sum up the Indian Removal Acts, which were not yeah. tribe, or tribes voluntarily left to make room for settlement. That's not what happened at all. Yeah. Um, That's like summing up, you know, I met Shirley Gunn in South Africa, and, you know, she was tortured because she was a revolutionist, Mm -hmm. right? White woman. Um, Her infant son was tortured, right? I I mean, horrendous experience, but she never caved. Like, she never caved. Um, Her entire experience was summed up in the um, reconciliation of, you know, Shirley Gunn and her infant child were tortured while in custody, right? I mean, that's it. yeah which doesn't honor her experience or um, acknowledge the harm and trauma but it's easier to digest yeah no one wants to think that there are people capable of torturing an infant in order to get his mother to confess to something she didn't do yeah right i mean Uh, that
0: is crazy that's insane there's the the i just everything we're talking about is uh, just the Uh, making everything bite-sized and comfortable because you don't want to feel uncomfortable and we don't want to acknowledge this Mm -hmm. or remember this. Uh, And I think I'm just, all this is bringing up, if I'm being honest, is bringing up a realization in my mind of how much I don't know about all this, you know, to learn. So maybe let's end it with this because I do want to be respectful of time. Holy crap, we've been. thank (laughs) you for hanging out with me. Here's the deal. So let's end it with this. We talk about privilege. Yep. And I think there's a there, you you'd mentioned a couple times in reference to your story about uh, being privileged to get to have the ability to learn these things, whatever. Yeah. I feel like to in the world of the being privileged, this term privileged mm-hmm. is uh, a very it's on the foreground of a lot of conversations right now. But there's yeah. another definition of privilege that isn't talked about in the yeah. sense of like a positive like I. Like thankfulness, if I had the privilege, Mm -hmm. it was a privilege of me to do this, and that that definition makes me think of. I don't know if you've. I studied story for a bit, and there's this. I don't know if you've ever heard of like the the hero's journey is a Mm -hmm. term, and like when people are telling stories of like this journey of a hero leaves his land to go fight the dragon, and then he comes back to his people to share the knowledge or the gold that he won or whatever it is, and I just can't help but think of your story and how it just seems like, you, you mentioned the word privilege, but it just makes me think of like this hero's journey of you um, almost having to leave, or maybe even birth, your birth was like this leaving of your people and this get going to a land where you were able to learn all this information. And now it seems like this choice you've made to come back and share that with people, your experience, being part of the community, Mm -hmm. having a right to that community and getting and sharing those things, not only with the community that you're a part of, but other people, educating other people. Yeah, I, so I'm, I'll have to say I'm just I, thank you for hanging out with me and being hey. willing to be open to yeah. I'm
3: kind Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just ask thankful. me and I'll yeah, answer. Yeah. That's a warning, though. Yeah, it is a warning. <laughs> yeah.
0: So I'm just thankful because it's I will not answer. Yeah. I want to recognize. Yeah, don't it's, ask if you yeah. don't want to know. Right? <laughs> yeah, I love that. So I just want to recognize that well, as it you. shouldn't be your responsibility to educate people. But I'm thankful that your openness has allowed me to. Uh, take a next step into my journey of understanding and hopefully people that listen to this.
2: Yeah. If yeah. people
0: want to learn more about everything we've talked about, this stuff, is there like, what are a couple websites or organizations that you oh, work with?
3: Yeah. Um, Minnesota Indian women's resource center, right? dot miwrc.org is my agency. And some of the videos I've done, um, are on, are on the site. Yeah. Right. Um, I would also read the, um, indigenous, um, what is it? Indigenous persons view of history or, it's like Roxanne Ortiz Barr wrote okay. it. I wanna, cause that really is, it takes history in the United States yeah. and, and tells it from the perspective of the indigenous experience. Mm. So it really is, and, and from this idea, it's not just colonialism, but settler colonialism that adds the le- a level of genocide and erasure, yeah. right? That um, we had to be killed off and it, like erased from history mm. so that people could feel comfortable. like discovering this country and developing it. Yes, Um, That's a great book. But I would also, you know, just look up indigenous writers. You know, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of them who write and write from the perspective of kind of their experiences, not just historically, but their experiences now. Yes. Um, I mean, like Louise Erdrich, um, Hyde Erdrich, um, both, you know, very well known in this area. Sherman Alexi, yes, there are issues there around the Me Too movement, mm-hmm. but I don't think that should discredit how well he's written mm. and really captured um, kind of the urban experience and kind of this, you know, struggling between yes. trauma and roles and um, yeah. which is very modern in the experiences. Um, and then just to, you know, do what you can to to you know like the zen education project online has some great material yeah um at all levels of learning too around this yeah and just you know the other thing i would ask people do is you know if they've listened to this and they have like oh you're right headdresses suck or mascots horrible yes right is um Genocide has been very effective and we're not that much a number anymore. Mm. Um, so we lack the political power to do a lot of true change. We need our allies mm. that outnumber um, the, the ones who would say it's okay to call a football team Redskins at whatever level. Yeah. Um, we need the support of others to say, no, that is absolutely not okay. And I'm not gonna use my power to buy your items or to support your team or to do anything until yeah. you change it. Yes. Um, and until that happens, yeah, you know, um, we're yeah. still just kind of screaming into a void because uh, people don't hear it. Yes,
0: I like and I like that thought of like your dollar is that yeah, it's a vote. You
3: vote with where you put mm-hmm. your money. Absolutely, like buying this thing. yeah. And it was effective even with the encampment, right? Yeah, um, when there was some pushback around, like, well, there's no money. That you know, mm-hmm. it's like, well, wait a minute. You just one point two billion for a stadium. That's empty most of the time, right? And you know, when we talk about differentiated housing responses, right, there is a long house, mm-hmm. a Viking long house in front of the stadium, so that people have somewhere to be warm <laughs> when it's cold out. Right? You put up warming stations for people during the Super Bowl, right? So it, it is really about your value system oh, around um, yeah. addressing cold or providing you know, shelter for people. It's your value system around who's deserving and who's not. Yeah. And rich people who can afford Super Bowl tickets are yeah. deserving, and homeless people are not, which goes yeah. back to what I said earlier, you know, from my friend Joe jo Hobot, right? Yeah. Yeah. You just... Want him freeze to death? That would yeah. solve your problem around the housing issue and homelessness. Oh, yes, as and then as, own as, it, right? Then, then own as, it. As, yeah,
0: as long as as long as we don't have to see it, as long as we don't have to watch people sing. Because no human, if you in front of someone that's actually freezing to death, would ever would ever uh, not feel empathy.
3: You'd hope not. But, You'd hope not. But they do it all the time, right? Yeah. There's kids in prison right now. Yeah. Right? There's childrens being, like, <laughs> yeah, detained. Yeah. Right. But mean, you
0: don't, we don't have to think about it because right. we don't have to see it. We can put it in another thing. We can mm-hmm. put it in a way that's put in well, a box they, if they, we don't have to see it. They didn't have here. to come here. Yeah, it was your choice.
3: Right, it was your choice. Deserving, uh, again. Uh, Matt,
0: Patina, thank you so much for hanging out with me. This was so hey, rad. If you have a story you'd like to share with me, head over to thecuriouspod.com slash contact, and I'd love to hear your story.